You're listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. I'm James Payne, and I'm joined here today with Northern Hunter co-founding members Dalton Gray. Hello. And Mariah Humphreys. Howdy. All right. We, I am very excited for this episode, and honestly, this entire time of year, because tis the season to be hunting bears. That's mm-hmm. right. So yeah. I think this episode's airing... On what, the 8th? So the bear baiting is right around the corner. The 10th. The 10th? Okay. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about all things bear baiting today. Well, maybe all things. We yeah. might not get to all things. Probably but. just the beginning <laughs> stages of bear baiting. But, yeah. But we're going to go in depth. So if you're excited or as excited as for bear baiting as we are, tag along. It's going to be good. You're not going to want to miss this one. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. yeah. I see what you did there. Yeah. So before we dive into that, though, I wanted to point out a couple of things for mostly local hunters and anglers, actually, for this particular one. Uh, let me get into my, my tabs here. So if you're looking at, there's been some announcements coming out recently, and I've been getting certain emails and kind of being kept in the loop on what's going on. I'm not going to go into super detail on it, but if you were trying to get out and go after some king salmon this year, it's going to be a hard year. I know the last several years have been really tough Mm. and there's been a lot of emergency orders. And as of, I believe, March 2nd, they started rolling these out. There have been a slew of them coming out. So honestly, they're closing down entire areas of the Kenai River. They're Mm. closing down entire areas. Let's see, I had the list pulled up here. In one of these, uh, let's see, they've got the Kenai, they've got the Northern Cook Inlet, the West Cook Inlet, Peninsula, almost all the Kenai Peninsula, the Deshka River, Anchor River, Deep Creek. I mean, there are a slew of emergency orders coming out right now Mm. that are either limiting the number of salmon you can catch to one or two in possession or caught in general. Mm-hmm. or completely closing the, the fishing down. Wow. wow. So if you're trying to plan a, a fishing trip this summer to get down there and get some fish, definitely be paying attention to this. Go, make sure you're going to Fish and Game's webpage and, and keeping up to date with all the emergency orders that are taking place. Does this just apply for residents? No, they've got, they've got emergency orders that dictate uh, different, different uh, catch, lim- you know, catch limits and everything for both residents and non-residents and typically speaking the resident ones are more lenient they're yeah in a lot of these i was looking there's certain rivers where you residents can keep two kings and uh-huh. non-residents are limited to one yeah mm-hmm. uh, there but usually in the closures it's just closed to everything right so the good thing I, I was reading is there's there's also they're implying limitations on uh, bycatch for kings mm. so any any kind of bycatch that's caught out in the salt water mm-hmm. that yeah. gets in mixed in with other fish in the net they're not even according to the new policies they're not even allowed to take them out of the water and they have to be released immediately so that's going to help things hopefully um you know the big reason i mean the salmon numbers have been having trouble for years now yeah like years and yeah. years mm-hmm. it's been a steady decline it has and anybody that's going after salmon as a steady food source that lives here knows that and they're they've been right. well aware right and there's so many different theories and different reasons on why that's happening. The, the bycatch is a big one. You know, these commercial fishermen out there, especially down by Bristol Bay, they're just absolutely right. slaughtering them. And, yeah. and there's been a lot of 
of work done by a lot of really great people to address that. There's yeah. even like a whole task force to follow oh, yeah. it right now and, yeah. and make sure that people aren't taking more than they're supposed to or not reporting their bycatch is a big one. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, I was listening a little bit. I didn't catch the whole thing, but there was a, a lot of fishermen, uh, commercial fishermen that showed up to the, the fisheries meeting and they, they were self-regulating their, their own bycatch and everything like that. So mm. it's, it's nice to see some people taking initiative and taking some, some accountability for their role in it. But I mean, the hard part is that the numbers have been getting so low that there's entire communities that live out in remote Alaska that have not been able to do their subsistence salmon fishing. Yeah. Right. Because a lot of people don't realize we actually are required to, there's a, uh, what do they call it? The escapement, the escapement contract or clause or whatever it's called. But okay. there's a certain number of salmon that we are contractually obligated to allow to escape into Canada through rivers that run across the borderlines. Okay. And so each river has its own individual escapement, uh, basically level. Min, so yeah, yeah, minimum like, and you can look all this up on the ADF and G website. Um, let's see the Togiak river has, you know, between 120,000 to 270,000 is the goal. And some of these bigger rivers, the, the, what is that? Kvichik? River? I'm not how you say that? I, I, I don't know. But it's I can't 2 million it. to 10 million is what they're supposed to. Wow. So those are like the, the goal estimates that they can range and it changes yeah. per year, I believe. But, but we're allowed or we're required to let that many salmon escape. And so when mm. the numbers of the runs are low, mm-hmm. yeah. even if there's technically enough for Alaskans, we are required to allow a certain number to escape. Yeah. And so you're, you can be watching the fish go by and you're not even allowed to take them. And I've talked to yeah. people, you know, I work in a lot of areas of remote Alaska for my job, and I've talked to a lot of people that have been struggling out there. Mm. And it's just a really bad situation. So, I mean, yeah. if you are looking at trying to get your own and you know, fill a freezer with some salmon this year, definitely pay attention to those closures. Yeah. And, I mean, we really need to do something about, <laughs> about yeah. these salmon numbers. I know there's a lot of people working on it right now. So, oh, yeah. It's, sure. it's definitely not a forgotten issue. But, I'm sure that's going to really affect the charter industry but, as well. Well, with, it, it will. With it, not, it will. Uh, not being able to take out yeah. tourists and whatnot. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, it'll change the pricing on even other species of fish because now they got to make up that money that they're right. losing. Right. So, yeah. you know, commercial industry. So, I remember a few years ago, there was a, um, there was a drop, I believe, in red salmon. Mm. And uh, it was discovered that it had to do with a certain country car- across the bay. Oh, really? Across the pond. Um, I don't. Okay, I don't. It's a big pond. Yeah, it is a big Does pond. Does it start but... with a C, a J, or an R? <laughs> <laughs> it could have been all three, but basically, yeah. they just decided they needed a bunch of salmon and went out mm. and, and caught all the salmon. Yeah. And so we had extremely In, low numbers, and it may have been is that like it, it international actually, waters kind of thing, or I don't remember. I just yeah, know they decided yeah. they needed a bunch of fish and. Uh, and we didn't have any fish out here. And it actually may have been Kings. I think that's when the Kings really started struggling a few years ago. Yeah, uh, I and, can imagine. Uh, and so, I mean, I think as, as much as America likes to look at ourselves and figure out what, and, and talk about how bad we are, sometimes we're not, we aren't the issue. Right. Anyway, it, and, and I don't know. Well, I, and you know, it's such a thing with like, I, I don't know if I can use the term, but scientists trying to play God, I guess. Yeah. Because you get a lot of these fisheries that are cranking out. Right. Basically cloned salmon and they're right. they're not cloned but they're they're produced in these 
these tanks and, and released yeah, they're, and they're not cloned yet <laughs> not yet at least right but they are they are altered mm-hmm. uh, one way that you can tell i believe they have a, a special fin on the back that is i i want to say it's not present don't quote me on that i'm not okay. i'm not the expert here but okay. it, there's a fin on the back of these salmon that either is or is not present if they're a fishery we, we're salmon. dealing with robot fish the fish aren't real they're robots. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Just they like, are real they're very real they're genetically salmon but <laughs> But the problem they've run into is that they don't, because they weren't spawned upriver, they don't return upriver. Yeah. And so they end up with all these fish that just stay out in the sound and out in the, in the ocean, <laughs> in the salt water. Right. And so it doesn't help the salmon runs at all. Yeah. And it's just, a, it's, a, it's a, a long struggle that honestly, a lot of it, I think, just comes from overusing the resource. I mean, we talk about that a lot on the show is, you know respecting the resource and, yeah. and taking conservation conservation right. and whatnot. And I think especially with salmon and just kind of sea life in general, I mean, they mm-hmm. were, they were closing oh, down yeah. the crab because, oh, yeah. you know, the crab were crashing and they just couldn't sustain taking as many as they normally do out of right. it. Right. And I think there just needs to be a big focus on that. I think that mm-hmm. there's a lot of greed that goes into yeah. harvesting these creatures that yeah. you don't really see with the moose and the caribou right. and things like that. Right. Um, but when you're looking at something that's a food source for, I mean, there's people in the Midwest that want to eat salmon. Right. And yeah. so you got these commercial guys that come up here to, to catch them yep. and they'll ship them everywhere. And it's, yep. it's a lot of strain. So especially yeah. we, with the bycatch stuff, I mean, they're catching, they're not even aiming for this particular species of fish. They right. just happen to swim in the same areas and be right. migrating in the same patterns. Uh-huh. Yeah. And a lot of times that bycatch is not utilized. They're right. not, oh, yeah. they're not putting it in a separate freezer that they've got set aside right. for bycatch right. They're So, and th- th- that has a lot to do with the legality of it too. I've got it, a little it's, it's information about bycatch actually. Yeah. yeah. I've talked to some guys that have worked on the fishing boats and, uh, bycatch, it, it's funny because if you catch a fish, the whole thing with the laws regarding bycatch and a lot mm-hmm. of people say, well, they, you know, if it's a fish, especially one that is, uh, you know, that we're trying not to catch right now, they should have to release it. The way they remove bycatch from their nets is it literally gets ripped out. Yeah. It gets yeah. killed when it's... So trying yeah. to limit bycatch that way, it, it, it goes to waste Yeah, versus if you let them keep it. Well, and, and a lot of that with this new reg that I've been reading today where it's limiting, they can't even take them out of the water. I don't even know how that's going to work, to be honest with you, because how do you ID it if you can't even take it out well, of the water? Well, there's a... Uh, I can't remember but, what it's called. And these nets are not... But there's basically... Not, <laughs> there's a guy that watches the fish coming... Oh really? In the in, on the net, and he's just he's his job is to move the rod or whatever that pushes mm. the deal over that rips the fish out of the net. Gotcha. And it just falls back in the water. Yeah. Now, yeah. So the fish doesn't come out of the water, but mm-hmm. it also doesn't make it either. So right. W- with commercial fishing, you can't regulate those things very well. Well, and and that's kind of the thing. I mean, it's hard to be upset about it in a whole. I mean, I am upset about it, but. When you're not intending to catch that fish, how can right. you regulate that you can't catch well, that fish problem, if it wasn't intentional right, to begin with? And the problem with. here isn't guys with rod and reel and bycatch. No, it's not. The problem is, uh, you the, know, it, it, I don't know if it's people overseas or if well, it's commercial a, fishermen or... There, there's sure. a lot of netting that goes on even on our side right. of things. So it, it's mostly the netting that, that takes place with the bycatch. It's, right. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, so it's just something to keep an eye out if you're... I mean, we're all going to be bear baiting for the most part during that time of year but yeah but if you are planning a trip down just make sure uh, that's i'll just finish it with this just make sure you're checking and making and 
checking right. to make sure you are allowed to fish right. what you're chasing because it's yeah. a quick way to get in trouble yeah. otherwise. Oh, yeah. And then that goes for anything. You yeah. know, when you're looking at these registration caribou hunts or Just, any kind of goat hunt that may yeah. have a, a limitation. Right. You should always be checking before you yeah. head out. Stay so. informed. And yeah. if you can't find what you want to find online, then call a fishing game office. Yep. yep. They will be happy to answer your questions. Yep. Absolutely. Mo, I think you had an announcement to make. I do. I do have and, an announcement. Go ahead and do it's that a cool before we hit thing. the next yeah. I put together this past week. Um, it'll be live on our website when this episode comes out. We've got a, a new page on the website mm-hmm. uh, called Partners. And it's just a little, uh, it's just a nice page. It, it, it lays out who we're working with. We've talked about in the last several episodes, we've talked about new sponsors and partners we're working with. And this kind of, it lays out who they are very clearly. And uh, just, there's just a little blurb of what we like about each one of them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, there's links to the to their websites there. Um, anyhow, that's you'll see that on the website when this episode comes out. Yeah. And, and it tells them which ones have promo codes and which ones or yeah. discount codes yep. and which ones yep. don't. And all yeah. That. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it looks it looks very clean. I yeah really like what you did. So. Yeah, we're we're pretty excited to be working with the guys that we're working with. I know we talked about in the last show, but Weatherby yep. and Hammer Bullets and Yukon River Knives, yep. and Batum Nine Hundred Seven, and Stealthy Hunter, of course, the, right. the flagship sponsor with Ryan Lampers. That's that's exciting for us. You know, we are we are tickled pink <laughs> to be uh, to be working with these guys so far, and and we're not done yet. So well, and we have some exciting things coming up too. Yeah, it, it's it's exciting, and I am just beyond grateful for yeah. for these people's support in our mission because yeah. it, it's so good to be doing something like this. Yeah, that. We honestly do put a ton of work into. Oh, yeah. All of us do, and yeah. we're all royally obsessed with this, and <laughs> <laughs> and love love putting it on for you guys, and and we love that there are are companies out there that are yeah. that are supporting it. So right, right, absolutely. All right, folks, I want to take a second to tell you about a product I found this last year and have absolutely fallen in love with. It's the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. I used one on a recent black-tailed deer hunt in southeast Alaska, and it did a great job of keeping the salt water and debris out of the action and also protecting the scope on my rifle from getting knocked around and damaged. On top of all that, the carry handle made it easy to transport the rifle to and from the boat during the hunt. When it got wet from rain and ocean spray, I hung it up at camp to dry at night, and it was always dry in 20 minutes or less. Stealthy Hunter also offers a wide variety of nutritional supplements for the outdoorsman, such as CBD oils, essential vitamins, turmeric, and bone broth. In the gear shop, they also have a lightweight first aid kit, glassing pads, and stuff sacks to organize your gear and your pack. Go check out Stealthy Hunter's website and use the code THENORTHERNHUNTER at checkout to get a discount on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Well, I think the next thing that I wanted to kind of hit on here for our other news topic is 19C, Mm. the subunit 19C, which is the Western Alaska range. Yep. Has, uh, well, there's a new proposal out and it looks like it's probably going to go through. Um, It's... The proposal is that non-resident sheep hunting in 19C will be closed for five years. Five years. Starting uh, this year. and uh, uh, st- Starting 2023? Yeah. From what I've seen so far, I don't see anything that indicates that it won't happen. Mm. Uh, everything I've read shows that 
there has been an 80% or more population decline overall in 19C over the last year or two. Man. And that has to do with horrible winter kill. Right. That is the majority of uh, that decline Mm. in population out there. Now, for those that don't know, if you, if you look up a, a, um, a map outline of 19C in Alaska, that is basically, for all intents and purposes, just north and directly west of Anchorage, out across the Cook Inlet, out west there, north of Lake Clark area mm-hmm. of the state. And that has been a very popular and well-known area for sheep for the yeah. last number of years, and there have been a lot of great rams taken out of 19C. The genetics have been pretty good. Uh, there, there have been historically a lot of big rams out there. Yeah. But the, the, the decline, even amongst residents that have been going out there, have reported seeing fewer and fewer and fewer rams and more mm-hmm. and more and more guides in that unit as well. Now, because of 19C's geographical location, they're not that far from Anchorage. They're not that far from Palmer Wasilla. So all these pilots down there in the Anchorage Matsu area mm. in the southern, I, I, I mean, I, I guess the proper term is south central mm-hmm. part of the state. All those pilots have relatively easy access to it by airplane. Yeah. And that, now that area, there is no road going in there. You can't get in there by four-wheeler. Um, you can snow machine over there in the winter time, and that mm-hmm. there's some there's like a Rainy Pass Lodge and and mm-hmm. a, a few other well known lodges, and and that's also where um, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the Iditarod goes out that way as well. I I think it does. I, I'm pretty sure. I'm that's pretty the sure case. it goes through there. Um, Shouldn't and, and, we know this? Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm, not into, I'm not into that. But well, here, how about I check? I've it been out? on a dog sled before, but I'm not a I'm not a musher. I don't know if I've ever been on one even. <laughs> anyway, uh, 19C has been pretty popular for for flyout guys, mm. and that's made it a relatively accessible spot for outfitters to set up. Right, and that has resulted in consistently 80 percent if not higher percentages of the rams that are shot in 19C are taken by guides. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to say a number here because I don't want to be wrong, but I, and I can't <laughs> find it. Um, but at one point, I read that of how many guides were registered mm-hmm. for 19C, and it was a staggering number. Really? It was incredible how many guides were registered for there. Yeah. And you have to think, that's just the outfitters that are registered for it. Mm-hmm. Every one of those, or most of those outfitters, have at least two or three assistant guides that work under them as a yeah. subcontractor that take clients. And mm-hmm. each one of those guides will take out, usually, at least two clients a year. So if each outfitter is taking out, at minimum, four to six hunters a year, right? if you have 100 guides outfitted for that spot, mm-hmm. You're not just taking out 100 sheep hunters a year that are non-residents. You're taking out potentially three and, and, and even up to 600 sheep hunters. Now, that, that's obviously an extreme number, but I do, have a few, I do have a few comparisons here that I found really interesting Yeah. Um, for the non-resident harvest numbers in, uh, in 19C. So total killed in, uh, here's, here's a nice, well, here, here's a higher number. Total killed in 2018 was 118 rams. 
non-residents were 79 rams out of 118 and that left 39 that non-resident that, that residents of alaska killed yeah that that's, is a that's a substantial difference that's it a, is that's a two to one ratio yeah you know that is a crazy difference yeah um last year 2021 the number that i'm seeing here non-residents killed 33 and residents killed six so there, oh, wow. there is a very that's a huge decline very, just in general. Yeah, but. and and so you, you can see this in on this on this table here. Twenty eighteen non resident seventy nine resident thirty nine. Twenty nineteen non resident seventy five resident thirty nine, and then you start to see it drop off. Twenty twenty mm. is fifty three and fourteen. Yeah, and then last year was thirty three and six, and that's probably about the time they started having the really bad winters. Yeah, so twenty twenty, a lot of people saw the winter kill really start to show up. Yeah, there weren't as many sheep on the mountain, there weren't as many uh, mature rams around, mm-hmm. and the lamb population was really suffering as well. And some people brought that to the attention of the board of game mm. and offered up some proposals that got rejected because, well, sheep have bad winters all the time. Mm-hmm. That's not a reason for a closure. And then 2021, it happened again, and yeah. that's where we're at with this proposal now Yeah, that the Board of Game is very likely going to approve, uh, where they're going to close it down for all non-residents for mm-hmm. five years. That will make Man. an exponential difference, but it, it, that's if right now, from now on in the next five years, we don't have any more terribly hard winters. Right. And if the resident kill doesn't go way up, right. I'm sure more residents are going to hunt out there I'm as sure a result of no guides. With this news, I'm sure a lot more will try because it's probably been labeled as a, a but, high pressure area oh, kind of thing. But <laughs> you better believe it. But my, my issue, and, and I would have to look at the data to find out after like the first year. Yeah. Is that the full curl regulation yeah. is a very good regulation. Yes. And if not a majority of these are sublegal mm-hmm. and they're just taking full curl rams out of the equation, leaving those in there, yeah, you, you'll still get a couple years more of breeding from right. those rams, but I don't, right. I don't know if hunting pressure is really going to make like lightening up the yeah. hunting pressure is really going to make that big yeah. of a difference. Yeah. I don't I don't know. I think their idea is that with this much of a decline in overall numbers, mm-hmm. we have to at least try. Yeah. And we'll just see what happens. We're, we're kind of at that drastic yeah. measure point. This mm-hmm. is the point where there are so few sheep out right. there in 19C right now as as a whole. Now, mm-hmm. there are pockets <laughs> yeah. that still have a decent number of sheep in them. But those are areas that most people can't get to or mm-hmm. that get overlooked. And you better believe that in the next five years, residents are going to find those pockets <laughs> and they're going to hunt them. Yeah. Um, but to me, yes, I agree with you that the full grill regulation is very self-propagating. Uh, I, I don't know if that's the right term to use for that. But it, that, that, close that in and of itself really does a lot yeah. for the management of that species because by the time a ram is full curl generally speaking mm. he's of age he's at his peak or he's just past it mm-hmm. or eight years old and we talked about this several several episodes ago yeah the sexual age of a ram when he can start to reproduce one and a half is a year and a half so by the time he gets to eight, he's had a good while, and mm-hmm. he's already done his deed multiple times over. Yeah. So by killing an eight-year-old or older ram, 
that you're not taking as much out, but I think they're trying to say with this shutdown proposal, mm. well, let's see how much more of a difference we can make by giving them all the time they need. Right. Rams are going to die of old age in the next yeah. five years that are eight, nine, ten year olds now. I mean, even even six-year-old rams this year are going to die of old age before non-residents can hunt them again. Right, yeah. You know, barring that this doesn't get reopened early mm-hmm. if they just explode all of a sudden. Well, then they're going to look at this from the other side of the coin and say, now, wait a second. We've been saying that hunting pressure doesn't make any difference. Now we close it down for four or five years and, and the ram population has exploded. Right. right. And they start- That's going to be a whole <laughs> different conversation. <laughs> yeah. Because now they're not going to want to relinquish that control. Right. Which is what the sheep hunting community has been afraid of for years. It is. Because even in areas like 20A, which is, by the way, on a very steep decline right now itself, mm-hmm. outfitters are refunding um, uh, down payments on hunts. Yeah, because I, I'm sorry, I don't have I don't have any sheep for you to kill. Yeah, or they've just decreased their number of clientele to two or three for a season on an outfit that would usually take ten to fifteen sheep hunters in a year. Right, twenty A used to be a great unit, and it, it I, I think we talked about this too. It's come and gone. It has over the over and, the last fifty years yeah, or so. Yeah. Exactly, and and you know that that happens for, I mean, really. Any animal that I can think of in Alaska goes through major swings with the exception of bears and mm. I, mountain goat don't seem to be as susceptible. Right. But well, and people moose, freak out about the caribou all the moose, time too. Caribou, doll sheep, yeah. black tailed deer, they all right. go through their swings. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's just part of it. That's, that's yeah. the life well, cycle. It's such a big state. It's not like a lot of the lower 48 where they can manage a whitetail population and just keep kind of a set number of deer. Yeah. As long as there's nothing like, you know, coyotes yeah. moving in or something crazy that happens. Right. Right. Because it's, it's a small area. There's a, and there's a lot more people to hunt that area yeah. versus mm. up here. There's no way we could manage those populations right. that closely. Right. Yeah. So anyway, it, it's just but, really interesting to see that they have finally taken a step in this direction because, like I said, the sheep hunting world has danced around with being very opposed and then being for right. it and they're against it because, like I said, once you relinquish control in yeah. this manner, it gets really hard a lot of times to get it back. Well, and you pointed out the the example with the Chugiak mountain, mountains yeah. and, and the sheep hunting down there yeah. that shut down for what was it supposed to be two years <laughs> well, or f- so two to the, five the, and then it never was, reopened. That was, I, I believe what I was talking about there was when that was made a park oh, and that okay, was gotcha. in 1980. Mm-hmm. But it, as far as I'm aware, the original plan was to maintain a huntable population and right. give out tags for that. And now they give out one or two tags per subunit down right. there. It's basically a once a lifetime tag. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. And you have like a point two something percent chance mm-hmm. to draw it. <laughs> yeah. Never going to get it. <laughs> now, I find it interesting what they did with this because I know for a fact there were a lot of other proposals put in that yeah. didn't shut down the hunting for non-residents. It just limited it to a certain number of tags the, per outfit. The other proposal which would have that I st- saw yeah. said that they proposed giving 20 draw tags to non-residents. Okay. And then leaving it open to residents. Right. And they, they, didn't, they didn't let that happen. Yeah. They said, no, no we're just going to close it down. I, I am happy that they did take the route of leaving it open for residents versus yeah. closing it down entirely. Because yeah. I know that was on the table too. Right. They had discussed that. Yeah. And I am all about bringing 
bringing people up and let them experience Alaska. And mm-hmm. it's a, it's an amazing, yeah. amazing place. It's right. Outside people coming into Alaska, not only is it great for them that they get to experience it, it's great for the economy. Yeah. Right. The, the Alaskan economy. Yeah. They, you know, these hunts are very yeah. expensive. Right. And that brings in a lot of money for a struggling Alaska anyways. Yeah. But <laughs> if you're going to limit something, at least let the people that pay the rent of dealing with the winners go hunt it is I guess how yeah. I would look at that. Yeah. We kind of, it's, <laughs> yeah. When you deal with the negative 40 for long enough, yeah. you kind of earn the right. So, right. right. But it's, it's cool to see them taking, taking some action. My question and my immediate question when I read this is a lot of these sheep hunts get booked years in advance. Yeah. So did you read along any of your readings with this, if they have any kind of uh, policies in place for the guys that already booked their hunts I, for 2023, if they're planning on read, putting it? I have not read anything about that. Man, what would that do? I mean, that... So I, I actually know of someone uh, that... <laughs> That had a sheep hunt booked yeah. for this fall. Really? In that area? In 19C yeah. with a very well-known outfitter. And the outfitter called him and said, hey, I, I've heard some rumors. I got to give you your money back here. Yeah. And that's that's where um, your money management as an outfitter comes into play. Right. Don't right. spend your deposit money. Yeah. <laughs> I think that goes without saying. That way, in this kind of event, you, you can give it back. You can yeah. refund them and, and do the right thing. And not just hold on to it and say, all right, well, I'll take you in six years. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, from a guide's perspective, I mean, what does a what does an outfitter do in this kind of situation? Are that do you think they'll just so, let them pick a new area and the, ma- make that registration process hard, kind of streamlined for yeah, them? Yeah, the, the hard part about nineteen C is it's in a region of the state. You know, that that whole South Central Wrangles, Chugach. Um, and Western Alaska range does have, traditionally speaking, has had Mm -hmm. a lot of sheep to hunt. Um, Last year, the total number of sheep hunters in 19C was only 97. Mm. And that was 58 non-resident and 39 residents. So the the pressure has gone down as people have realized, look, there's just not as many sheep here. And I know of a few outfitters that have, uh, like you mentioned about the bycatch, they have self-regulated mm-hmm. based off of what they've seen in their right. particular areas that they hunt. Right. They say, look, I only have a couple of rams that look like they're going to be legal as they're out flying in July. Mm-hmm. So m- maybe this year we're only going to take out one or two hunters. I, I, I can name a couple of guys off that have been doing that for a couple of years now, but it's still... Which, I know, mean, in the name of honesty, you don't want to sell a $25,000 hunt when you know right. you don't have more right. than that number right. of rams. Right, exactly. And, and you don't want to book eight sheep hunts and only have one or two guys get them. Exactly. That's how you get a bad reputation in exactly. the industry. Right. So I, I think the right thing for an outfitter to do, the, the honest thing to do, is just to be upfront with your clients and say, look, I, I, I don't have any animals for you. I, I can't take your money. Right. I'm going to stop taking sheep hunters. I know a guide that even before this regulation was introduced, uh, I, I know of a guy that, that had already told his clients, I'm done booking sheep hunts for at least two or three years mm-hmm. until they come back. Now, you had mentioned, what do you do in this? And do you, can you just switch areas? So each registered guide is, is allotted three guide use areas per year. Mm-hmm. And you have to register for those at the beginning of each year. Right. I, I, if I'm not getting that wrong for the timeline's sake. But once you're an outfitter slash registered guide, you have to take a test mm-hmm. for each game management unit that you want to outfit in. 
Okay. And then within that game management unit, it's blocked up into uh, into uh, guide use areas. Mm-hmm. And so you can have up to three to your name per year. So for guides that already registered that game management unit and that guide use areas, if they put all three of their guide use areas in 19C and all mm-hmm. they were going to do is sheep, then they're, they're screwed. Yeah. Because now that, I mean, now that being said, you can still take hunters in there yeah and kill grizzly bears moose wolves and it just uh, limits the sheep you just can't take any sheep right um which i I was just curious if for the specific sheep guys yeah they were if they were planning on doing any kind of a streamlined yeah kind of relocation project because once that's, that's, you that's your livelihood man once, i mean once you lock in your guide use areas i i don't believe that's something you can change and if somebody out there is listening and hears me and this is wrong then yeah. uh, you know write r- in the show and let me know and we'll correct it in the next episode i would hope that if they're doing an emergency order like this that they yeah. would create an avenue for them so here because here's, here's where i was going to go with this a second ago and i just lost track here when I mentioned that the Wrangles and the Chugach and mm-hmm. 19C, that, that, that whole band along the South Central area in, and even stretching east um, over into the Wrangles, the Chugach and the Wrangles, uh, there, there is a lot of, um, um, of parkland mm-hmm. and preserve land. And there's a lot of federal restrictions on how many outfitters are even allowed to be in those particular units. Mm-hmm. So not everybody can just get an outfitting permit. There is a uh, that there is a very very successful outfit in the Wrangles that I, I won't name, but he's on an exclusive unit. He's the only outfitter in there, so it's gotcha. not like you can just pick up your shop and say, "All right, well, we're just going to move to this unit this year." Mm-hmm. Even if you could switch game management units mid season, or I, I'm sorry, mid calendar year before your season starts off, yeah, <laughs> now you're in a brand new area, right? Possibly. Yeah. There might be two other outfits that have been there for the last 25 years that are going to be not too happy to see you in their area, mm. and you're going to be trying to shoot the same animals that they are. And so the, the, the problem that I see with this is all these outfitters, like you said, maybe not even this year, but in the next four years, right. are going to be looking to register in other units. And what kind of pressure are we going to see in every other stretch of the mountains that we mm-hmm. have in Alaska? And by the way, 19C is not the only unit, like, like we mentioned 20A. Right. But 19C and 20A are not the only ones struggling with sheep numbers. And yeah. then you look up at the Brooks Range with the federal land closure up there, there's a lot of land up there that's locked up right now with closures. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to make it sound like a doom and gloom podcast about <laughs> sheep hunting opportunities, yeah. but the window has gotten a little bit smaller. It has. And... If if you're planning on coming to Alaska and hunting an over-the-counter doll sheep hunt mm-hmm. with an outfitter, you better book your hunt now mm-hmm. because there is zero guarantee that next year, if we have a catastrophic freezing rain winter and we get 200 inches of snow, yeah. which might happen. Yeah. It might not. It probably won't, but it could. Well, the way the last... Several winters have gone. It wouldn't surprise me. We have had such erratic winters in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. warm and very little snow to just absolutely freezing cold for a month and a half nonstop. Yeah. It doesn't get warmer than 20 below. Or super late cold. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, a very late spring breakup yeah. where the snow stays on the mountains longer. That's really hard on the sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, or you get like a freezing rain crust layer in the snow. And that, that affects moose and caribou a lot more than it does sheep. Yeah. Generally, that rain doesn't 
get up that high. But if it were to, and there's no reason that it couldn't, mm-hmm. if it does, then there's no saying that the, that the state of Alaska could say, you know what? The sheep are in bad shape all around this state. It's all going to a draw. And now an area that you might be able to get a free over-the-counter sheep permit as a resident. Yeah. And I got news for you. As soon as everything goes to a draw, you're not going to have good chances. Right. I mean, there is not going to be any easy sheep tag to get. Mm -hmm. Everybody is going to be trying to get them. Yeah. Everybody. And that's where non-residents even that want to go on a hunt for any particular species, a lot of them will find a tag that they want. They'll apply for it and then start talking to outfitters Mm -hmm. after the fact. I know of a lot of guys that have done that. Now, it might not be the right way to do it, but they're just looking to get their applications in and and they know that the outfitters are going to prioritize the tag holders. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter. But anyway, so yeah, it, it's it's really interesting to see this. I, I'm I'm curious to see um the, what what they estimate the numbers to go up to be in the next mm-hmm. few years. Like I said, barring another bad couple of winters, I hope that it rebounds quickly. Yeah. And I hope that in five years they come out and say, "Look, this is a success. We're going to open it back up." Now, there's also another proposal on the table that, that I've heard rumblings of. I'm not sure if it's been actually written up yet, mm-hmm. but it's about, so, I, okay, I mentioned the federal land yeah. um, allotments being a different process than state land for guides to operate on. The federal concessions are oftentimes exclusive to one outfitter because they don't want a lot of people in there. And the federal land units there are very, very strict rules and regulations that you have to follow. Mm-hmm. I mean, you carry everything out. You don't even bury your toilet paper in some of these places. Right. It is extremely stringent about leaving absolutely no trace. Yep. They can't go in there and build cabins and have a nice big setup like you possibly could to get a permanent structure permit for, uh, on, on a state land concession. Mm-hmm. You can't go in there and build a base camp. You can't yeah. leave anything out there. It's got to all come out. And uh, there are only a few cases that I know of where there there are any exceptions for that. They're talking about doing something very similar to that with state land for outfitters. Oh, really? To avoid situations like this in 19C where you end up with X number of outfitters registered for the same unit just because it's accessible and there's good sheep hunting there. Man. And then combined with bad wind hunters, I'm sorry, Combined, <laughs> combined with bad winters, words and excessive amounts of non-resident hunters with guides, mm-hmm. that that double up effect does take a toll on ramps. It does. It does. Even though it is the the eight year old full curl regulation, it does make some of a difference. Yeah. And if they can limit state land users, the guides, mm-hmm. and only a lot. X amount of guides per guide use area. Right. You can eliminate that problem, but then you introduce the whole thing of, well, now we have, let's just say, let's just throw out some numbers here for math's sake. Now we have 100 guide use areas and 300 guides. Now what do we do, <laughs> right? Yeah. The, <laughs> there yeah. are certainly areas where there are going to be a very finite amount of guide use areas, and there's going to be an exorbitant number of guides that are, that are going to come out and say, look, I've been here for 10 years, or I've been here for 15 years, or hey, I'm just trying to get started. This is my first, this is my first year as a registered guide outfitter. 
I took my test through this spot and now you just locked it up. Mm. And now the rumor is that they're going to give seniority preference in these units where if they do lock it up and limit the number Mm. of guides and operators in there, then they'll say, look, Joe with 25 years of outfitting has preference over John with nine years of outfit. So they're pulling union rules basically. So it's yeah. a it's a seniority thing. Right. So now young guy has to go pack up camp and say, all right, well, I got to go find the new guide use area if he can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he might have to go back to being working for another outfitter, mm-hmm. which completely ruins his business. It's, it's going to limit the amount of small business outdoor opportunities for new There's going to be a guys. whole lot fewer startup outfitters, yeah. which on one side, again, that there's two sides to every story. On one side, it'll be great because the opportunity will be higher. Hopefully, only the good ones will get it because they've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. The other side of it is you have to have room for growth. Mm -hmm. And the guiding industry is not getting any younger (laughs) in in Alaska. I would fear in that instance with that set of rules, you would end up with what you could essentially call gatekeepers. Yeah. And that would be keeping young motivated guys out just out of yeah. pure right. selfishness of wanting to keep right. their area and, and and even if you don't have that even if everybody is just like look i've been here for 30 years i'm mm-hmm. not trying to keep the young guys out but i've got to make a living yeah right well, yeah so does the 25 right. year old or, yeah. or 30 year old guide what is he supposed to do yeah. so then the other extension to that there that's been talked about again this is this is all just Mm -hmm. talk on a lot of these forums and people talking about it on these uh, adf and g conversations the other proposal would be off of that well we could have a grandfathered in program Mm -hmm. where if an assistant guide works for this registered guide for x number of years or if the or if the current elder statesman outfitter says Mm -hmm. look i'm going to retire or I'm going to give this business to my guide that knows the area. I'm going to write a letter of recommendation to the board of game. Mm-hmm. And then that'll allow the young guy to get it after the old guy moves on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Kind of an heir kind of right. thing. Yeah. But again, there's a problem with that. Because what if you don't work for that guy? Right. And you really want that spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> so it, it, it's going to it create opens, a lot of competition. It opens a whole uh, new can of worms that Alaska has not seen on state land ever. Yeah. There's never been this kind of thing. Well, and you know, the, the problem with it is that you get two extreme sides of the, I don't know what you call that, a scale. I was going to say pendulum, but that's not right. It's, no, a, it's a scale. Yeah. Where you get some people that think that we should have no resident or no non-resident hunters coming in, no guides. Right. Everything should be just the residents. And then you get the other side of the spectrum that's thinks bring as many guides in as you want, bring them, bring them all in, get as many non-residents in as you can. And the problem is you can't really have either one of those. No, I don't have a problem personally with outside non-residents coming in and hunting Alaska with as many guides as they want. Absolutely. As many residents want to come in. So long as it is not, impacting the the current opportunity yeah as long as it's not draining the populations as long as it's not limiting the amount of opportunity right. for other people for for residents right who ultimately get first priority right which we see here in this proposal 
Yeah. Non-residents, sorry, take a hike. You're going to have to wait five years to hunt 19C, maybe longer. Mm -hmm. But residents, we're going to leave it open for you as long as we think that there is at least a minimum surplus to harvest. And that's written into, I want to say it's the Alaska State Constitution, but also the game, the fish and game statutes where there's a, a system, a level of prioritizing things where they prioritize the subsistence hunters first. Yeah. Right. That's why you see a lot of tier one and tier two right. hunts and right. subsistence hunts where it's otherwise closed down. Right. Is because the people that are living off the land that don't have access to a safe villagers, way that, remote right. towns. Yeah. Yeah. Census designated areas, people things of that, that don't nature. have a Fred Myers 10 minutes down yeah. the road. Yeah. They are reliant on getting these opportunities to survive. And that's what the big problem with the fish that we talked about earlier is it's gotten to the point yeah. where even the subsistence users, the people that live off of these fish, right. can't get them. Right. And right. So they take first priority. Then you get residents take secondary priority, the, what they consider recreational or sportsmen. And then the non-residents get priority. Yeah. And it's just, it's a good setup and it's a good system as long as it works in unison, you know, yeah. and where everything kind of comes together and, and works together. If, if I'm being honest, I think we would all agree here. It, this system has worked. It has, yeah. Until the most recent ebbs and flows of wintertime. Mm -hmm. Winter is the ultimate decider of yeah. populations up here. Yep. I, I, I think we all agree with that. Right. If there's a really, really bad winter, there are going to be a lot of different ungulate species that are going to suffer from that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we have to adjust our harvest numbers accordingly. If we don't, if we just ignore that, then there will be problems and we will over harvest mm -hmm. and keep in mind the wolves and bears are going to keep on eating. Oh yeah, they are. And if right. we keep shooting and the wolves and bears keep on eating and the winters kill more than normal, mm -hmm. then eventually things are going to get out of balance like we're seeing right now. Right. So I'm going to springboard off of that and lead into predator management <laughs> just because yeah. sheep hunting, and this goes for residents too, just because sheep hunting is bad in a particular area. Go on a sheep hunt for bears. Mm -hmm. You strap on your backpack, take your ultralight mm -hmm. stuff, and just head into the mountains and go shoot bears and wolves. Mm -hmm. Grizzly bears, black bears, go kill wolves. Go out in the wintertime and do some predator calling and kill some wolverines if you can out in the mountains. Right. It, it, it might not be a lot, but it's certainly not going to hurt anything. What is the number one predator on sheep? Well, outside of winter, I know golden eagles kill a lot of them. <laughs> really? Gold, I remember you yeah, telling me about that. Golden eagles, yeah. yeah, golden eagles kill a lot of sheep. Well, we can't do in, anything about that. In certain, in certain parts of the state. What about, um, I imagine it's probably grizzly bears and wolverines for... Grizzly bears kill um, a, a good number. Wolverines do kill some, but wolves kill a bunch of them too. Really? Oh, even, yeah. Even, even though, oh, yeah. I mean, I guess they get pushed down with the snow. Oh, yeah. 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 Wolves, um, wolves take a toll on sheep. Yeah, Absolutely. They, I mean, they've got to come down at some I mean, point. I've, I've and, seen, you know, seen again, sheep, sheep sign in shockingly low places. Yeah. Yeah. Again, mm. predators are not discriminatory of age class of rams. Right. That they, right. Don't, they don't just kill rams. They're killing ewes and lambs. They're killing. They're killing the easy ones to get. Oh, yeah, at. those are the yeah. easiest ones to get to. I've, right. I've I've hiked and climbed in wild places within twenty yards of of of, of like five or six ewes and rams. Mm. Just because I tried. Yeah, ewes and lambs. Ewes and lambs. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, yeah. not rams. And there may <laughs> yeah. have been a few rams in there, but they they weren't yeah. very big yet. Well, yeah, little banana heads. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, th that's that's a great way at, as 
as users of this resource, when you see things get out of balance, mm. you can take it upon yourself. And Alaska's regulations afford us that ability. They do. We can get out there and kill predators all year round. Pretty much. All yeah. year around, there is some kind of carnivore mm. that is in season in almost every unit, if I'm not mistaken. And, and believe it or not, open. believe it or not, even coyotes can be, can be a menace to some yeah. of these ungulate species. Yeah. Yeah. And so even if you just have the opportunity to go shoot a couple coyotes, yeah. you know, do it. We don't yeah, have like, the problem the coyote, that the lower 48 does with coyotes because we much. haven't killed all our wolves. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. But there are a lot of stories when you, when you talk to the fish and game guys right. about coyotes taking I, down. I've heard a few stories about a pack of coyotes taking down a moose, mm -hmm. taking, taking down a, um, like a calf. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't put it past them. I, I've heard of them taking down horses and cattle in Delta. Really? Yeah. Wow. Talk yeah. to a couple, I mean, it, couple people that live I down there. I guess they do it down south. Why wouldn't they do yeah. it up here? Yeah. That's true. Yeah. If, if yeah. you get enough they're, of them. They're small, but they're, they're not well, I, I mean, informidable, if, I guess if that's the word. If you get five or six 40-pound coyotes, yeah. that's some trouble, man. And there's some arteries low on the legs. You know, oh, they yeah. can nip at those arteries, and yeah. they know where they are. So. <laughs> yeah, if they get to the underside and get to the family jewels, yeah, then, uh, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll take I, I mean, on. honestly, though, you, you watch videos of them killing elk in Yellowstone. Yeah, or, I'm sorry, not Yellowstone, <laughs> but I, I've I've seen multiple sure videos do. of of coyotes killing elk and other species. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that they'll go for the soft undercarriage. There's yep. there's a lot of uh, like you said, there's mm -hmm. a lot of arteries down there. And that's where the wolves go for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did you yeah. I said wolves. I, you know what? A couple episodes ago, you said woof multiple times, and I just let it go. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to go you back and forth. You know what? It's it's part of what makes you uniquely you. So, just you know, in case nobody knew it was you talking. Yeah, <laughs> right, like, right. If my high-pitched so, voice didn't tell, give it away. It, it is your First Amendment right to say woof or wolf. <laughs> so say whatever you want. All right. Well, anyway. right now it's wolves, but it, it might be wolf later. Yeah. Well, and you know, the reason we harp on it so much is because yeah. there is a lack of people doing it. Yeah. And overall. Of the, predator the, management. The, the, the <laughs> grand majority. <laughs> not of people saying wolves. <laughs> um, but yes, predator management is that there's a large majority of people that just don't seize those yeah. opportunities when they're given, whether yeah. it be bear or wolf right. or coyote even or yeah. whatever pops out in front of you, the, the right. predator of opportunity. I don't think enough people and just go on dedicated bear hunts anymore. I, I think too many people don't especially, shoot predators. Yeah. Especially in the interior. This is right. per personally, I think if people just shot the predators they had an opportunity at when they were hunting ungulates, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there'd be, it, it would put the hammer on the predator population. Oh, yeah. It really would. Yeah. I mean, and they should do it with hammer bullets too. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but no, really, like if, you know, I've taken two wolf, two wolves and, uh, <laughs> nice. I've taken, I've taken two and both of them were during moose season. Yeah. It, it was mm -hmm. one year after While the other. While moose hunting. While moose hunting, yes. Yeah. And, and you know what? You know when we started seeing more moose? After you shot After the I shot the wolf. Yeah. Because yeah. the pack moved off. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and that tends to happen. A lot of people don't shoot or a grizzly bear or, or, right. or a wolf because they're afraid right. it's going to scare the moose, but that's not the case. Yeah. Right. Especially yeah. if you're caribou hunting. I mean, you'll see, you'll see grizzly bears a lot out there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah and, yeah. and wolves too. So. Make, who, make sure they're who legal. Was, who and, was the old writer? Was it Frank Glasser that used to shoot golden eagles? I, I can't remember. I don't remember him I, talking about that in his book. I don't know. I, I don't know if that was in his book no. or not. I, I, I know of some old timer that, you know, from back in the days, mm. I, I, I think it was even pre-statehood 
that more uh, than likely, yeah, yeah. very likely <laughs> uh, that 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 they were uh, they were shooting golden eagles because they noticed that they were that they were going after sheep. And he thought, well, if I shoot bears and wolves and wolverines because they're killing my sheep, then why wouldn't I shoot these big birds? Yeah, you know, I I've seen a number of golden eagles sheep hunting. And, I've I've watched videos of it. It's yeah, pretty gnarly. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the, the, well, and. and <laughs> And some of these golden eagles are absolutely yeah, huge. Yeah. Huge birds. I mean, you got to think people use the, birds birds for deer hunting they'll down grab the 48. A, they'll grab a lamb and drop it off a cliff and kill it and then yeah. go down and eat it. Yep. It, yeah, no big deal. Yep. They're huge animals. Have you ever seen, ever heard of one attacking a larger? I have. Okay. I, I have heard of My them curiosity killing caribou. Was just what? Oh, Yeah. I meant like okay, a large sheep. I've never heard. I thought you meant. I was talking like like no, no, a no. large ewe or ram. I, I've heard of golden eagles killing caribou. I haven't what? seen it, but I I, I could. I, I can't name his name <laughs> on the podcast, but I I have a story about a, a couple golden eagles oh. killing a full grown mature caribou. Can we have him on the podcast? <laughs> Unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> and then. Um, I've also heard, and you're not going to believe this. I've also heard of ravens killing caribou. You know, swarming I, in, getting to the eyeballs and killing a as, caribou. As unlikely as I bet it happens often, I could definitely see it being a possibility. Especially on have a wounded you, animal. As smart have, as have they ever, are, okay. ravens are incredibly smart. Yeah. They are insanely well, they, they intelligent can be, They birds. can be trained to talk yeah. in captivity. You know, they'll, they'll barter with you. Really? They will actually barter with you. And like, if they figure out you want, like they can, there's been people that have, train them mm-hmm. essentially yeah to bring them certain rocks okay and then they'll exchange the rocks for food and then the ravens really? will eventually come back and bring rocks like a vending machine yeah and barter with you interesting and there's been puzzles that they've made them solve i mean yeah. the yeah. studies I've on these birds that. is insane they'll- and, and okay so here's a situation that we've all been in you walk out of the grocery store you've been bear baiting mm. um and you have some empty bags of dog food wrapped up in a trash bag in the bed of your truck that you haven't had time to make it to the dump yet with. Mm -hmm. You get out from the grocery store or your local sportsman's warehouse or Alaska ammo or whatever, and there is a raven sitting on the bed rail of your truck. These are not small birds. No. Okay? The beaks on these thing is, I mean. It's pert near the size of your thumb. It, well, I, I was going to say that top of the beak looks like yeah. the size of my thumb. It makes them look small. Yeah. They're huge. Yeah. And they're really, really thick, stout, beaked birds. Dumpster chickens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be careful. You're going to step on some toes with that one. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, th- th- they are surprisingly formidable. When yeah. you, and you know what? I, I have seen flocks of them, if, mm. if it's what they're called, groups, flocks, whatever, flying around out hunting. Isn't it a murder? I think, it's a, I think it's a murder of ravens. It's a murder, or is it a murder of, crows? of crows. Okay. I don't know what it is of ravens. I'm going to look know. that up. Yeah. But, but anyway, I, I've seen groups of ravens flying around while I've been caribou hunting, and there's 30, 40 of oh, them yeah. flying around together, if not more sometimes. Yep. And they're just looking for the next kill that they can find and, and eat on it. It's even better than murder. <laughs> okay. It's, oh. a, it's an unkindness of ravens. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that's great. That is, I, I've never heard An that. Unkindness before. of ravens. I'm going to double check that, but that's the first thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. It's an unkindness of ravens. It's a, a, a murder of crows or an unkindness of cr- ravens. And I mean, it makes sense with the, the way that their call is very obnoxious. And oh, yeah, yeah. 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 If you've ever been in a tree stand at a bear bait and had, I have, and had ravens sit and eat at your bait pile for a while, they get 
extremely well, annoying and to listen I've to. I've heard some that sound like screaming children. Oh, yeah. It's freaky. Yeah, they make some weird noises. Yeah. <laughs> weird noises. I've um I've been down in southeast Alaska and these I've had this happen with ravens and crows mm. where I'll blow on my fawn distress call and then I hear a response of that fawn distress call and it's not a deer really it's a raven or really? a crow and I've had it happen with ravens and crows no where kidding. they will mimic my my fawn distress call wow yeah they're extremely intelligent huh and multiple times, I, I will admit to this, I have been tricked out by a bird hunting down there. I'll, I'll hear this response, and I'm thinking, man, there's, a, there's another deer in there mm -hmm. calling away. Well, I'm going to go to the real thing because it's more likely to bring in a buck than I am Yeah. if the real thing is standing 50 yards into the hardwoods that way. And I'll go over there, and there's a raven 30 feet up in the tree looking at me. <laughs> and then I blow the call. Ten seconds later, he responds. Really? Almost wow. identical sound. And wow. I, I've just thought, man, my goodness. These, Probably on these a pretty things. nice day, huh? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So They're little, not out flying around more in the blowing wind and rain. Fact factoids about the ravens we have up here in Alaska. They're average 24 inches tall, which makes sense when they're standing man, on the ground. Yeah. And when you think about it, if his one's on the back of your truck, like how tall his oh, head yeah. is. Yeah. And, and obviously, a lot of the ones probably in the, around town and stuff may be smaller. But um, wingspan of 46 to 56 inches. Oh, brother. Look up Golden Eagle. Man. Just, just while we're on the subject of, of uh, aerial predators. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. this is, we haven't got this, to what we're going to this week, but this is a really interesting episode, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I we're agree. definitely going to dive into part of it, but yeah, I, yeah. I really want to hear this out. So, oh my, Golden Eagle's wingspan between uh, basically six to seven and a half feet. What? Wow! Yeah, the ones I've seen Man. out hunting have been a, have been in the four to five foot wingspan okay. range, but th they're still huge. I, yeah. I have some I mean, this really is just, really good pictures of them up close too. Yeah, this is uh, just to show a, you guys. This is just that was just general golden eagles, not necessarily Alaska, but yeah. Um, no, no, I mean, so on on the Alaska .gov says six to seven feet. Wow! Mm. How much do they weigh? Uh, eight to twelve pounds. It's a big bird. Wow. I know I've got a really cool video I'll show you guys later that I was out caribou hunting mm -hmm. and I was high enough in elevation that the ravens were flying basically right next to my head. Mm. And one came like almost close enough for me to touch and they're, they're big out yeah. there. And I'll bet at the spot that we, that we've talked about off air a bunch about going um, mm -hmm. at that spot. Yeah. I, I've seen golden eagles right near there oh, before. Man. I I almost guarantee if we go in there <laughs> at all this year. <laughs> yep. <laughs> in in the part of that region that we're talking about, we'll probably see a couple golden eagles. So, yeah, they are prevalent in that part of the state. Lifespan? Any any guesses for golden eagles? Yeah. Ooh, I don't know. Six years. James, I don't have any. I'm idea. gonna go the Northern with... Winter trivia here. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with. I'm just going to go with the average dog lifespan, 10 to 12. This says up to 32 years. What? Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> so these things have a long There's ravens as old as me? <laughs> right? <laughs> Wait a minute. You're talking about golden eagles or ravens? Golden eagles. Oh, golden eagles? Wow. Man, really? 32 years. Yeah, I mean, even it's, it lists uh, small mammals, birds, reptiles, occasionally larger mammal, mammals, such Man. as doll sheep. I know that. Uh, Th no. Yeah. It says oh. up to 32 years. Wow. 
I know that for a fact. No, for no golden eagles. I'm talking. Doll sheep is listed as as a prey. Oh, as prey. Yeah, species. All right. So I I know for a fact (laughs) there's. There ain't no way. I don't. I don't know if it's parrots or like parakeets or one of those. Yeah. Colorful, colorful. I've heard about that. Birds. Yep. That people use as pets. They're one of those species can live to be like 80 or 90 years old. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. They're like, you can get a bird that'll outlive you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've heard that on, I actually on another podcast, I heard that someone uh, bought a, bought a parrot of Mm -hmm. some variety in their fifties. Yeah. And their adult child now has the same parrot (laughs) that that dad had (laughs) when he was an adult. It's insane to think of a bird living that long. Yeah. No, it's crazy. But, Ravens in Alaska. It says up to fifty years in captivity, like under human management. Uh-huh. Raven. Yeah. Though in the wild, it says it looks like around twenty twenty five years. Still, can still be crazy. pretty common. My goodness. <laughs> wow. Well. Anyway, that's insane. So, I, they, I, I, oh, oh, I say they mate for life. So. I was going to say really? the yeah. the, nice. uh, the segue earlier about predator management is what mm. we were kind of going to lead yeah, into we're here going to. with planning a bear bait. Well, before we get into that, I wanted to say that okay, the reason we um, are bringing up things like you had mentioned your your a lot of the things you were talking about were proposals, were things that people are talking about yes. doing. Yeah, and so and, that, and you were very good about making sure that was known. I really like that we're talking about that and I really want to continue talking about that. And so oh yeah, for our listeners, you can look forward to hearing about that because the information that people are proposing to the, the game regs and things like that mm-hmm. is public knowledge. It is accessible for anyone in the public, but you have to go to like a sp- very specific place to find it. And a lot of yeah. people don't do that. Yeah. And so a lot of times when these things get passed, it gets voted in and nobody even knew what was happening. And right. I, I think it's really cool to talk about that stuff on a show like this where people yeah. get to hear it and, and hear. There's other ones that I wanted to talk about, but we're not going to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be another episode. Yeah, but for sure, the, I, I think it's, it's really important for people to pay attention to yep. what's going on yep. with the regs. I think it's mm-hmm. really important for people to pay attention what's being proposed to kind of see what the culture looks like yeah. in, in uh, the hunting regs world and what's kind of coming down the pipeline, I guess, in the next yeah. several years to keep aware sure. of that. And, and I hope everybody's getting involved in that process. So yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's a perfect. All right, folks, we all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to stealthyhunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Segway. Yeah, so predator (laughs) management that we've been talking about. Now, I think we've touched on this before, but 
a lot of folks are hot or cold about bear baiting. Yes, absolutely. And they they view it well. Some people, the folks that have never done it, don't look at it as a um, fair chase style right. of hunting. That's and that's the, that's the big argument against. Yes, it. yes. And while none of us here think that's true, obviously because we're all addicted mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> um, users of bear baiting methodology. <laughs> I tried to avoid our other term. <laughs> uh, but uh, here in the interior and in a lot of the interior of Alaska, where the foliage and the terrain does mm. not allow for very much mm-hmm. spot and stalk opportunity to harvest bears, they do need to be managed. Yes. Like we said, predator management is integral to a balanced big game population. Yeah. Right. I don't care what state you're in. And bear hunting in the interior with with not a lot of open alpine type terrain mm-hmm. bear baiting is our best tool of management it is right and in the interior of alaska we're going to talk about grizzly bears and black bears mm-hmm. those are our two bears that we have that's what we can hunt and we love it yep. now not every game management unit is open to bear baiting grizzly bears mm. Some of them are, but they cut off at the end of May. Now, right. bear baiting season in the interior, for the most part, with the exception of some South Central units down in 16, I believe, most bear baiting in Alaska is April 15th is when it opens, mm. and it closes June. So you have, you know, two and a half months. Realistically, you've got about two months of hunting. Right. Sometimes six weeks, depending on the snow levels and how long mm. breakup takes to, to, to happen where the snow is completely gone and they're going to come into baits. Yeah, I think last, last, with the way the last breakup went, I didn't even get in the woods until mid-May. Yeah. yeah, last year was the first time that I haven't had bears at a bait until the second week of May. Right. And I was already out guiding and yeah. I, I had already set up a bait with you, James. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, that that was a new spot, and usually a new bear bait does take a little while to mm. get hit at yeah, a brand does. new spot. Yep. I've had it take up to three weeks to get hit. I've also had them hit within hours of me setting up. Right. So it, it it just depends on how close you are to existing bears already in that particular area, and we'll talk about how to pick a spot like that as well. Yeah. But last year we had a relatively late breakup and if you're using a boat to go down a river system then you're likely going to be not even setting up until 10 days into may Mm -hmm. usually when the ice has completely gone out of the rivers because the last thing you need to be doing is putting your boat in the water get all your stuff ready and then you get up 10 miles and you find an ice jam and you can't get any farther yeah so number one is safety on the water if you're running a boat you got to be careful of that so that usually um, bear baiters that are using boat access are a little bit uh, pushed later into the season for setup. Mm-hmm. Now, for guys that are on wheelers and hike-in baits, like we are for now, um, we can generally get out uh, towards the end of April or even the beginning of May. Usually, mm-hmm. all of mine are set up for the year that I'm going to be running before May 1st. Yeah. Now, a lot of people talk about when bears hit. Uh, it, it, in my experience, and I, I've been bear baiting for a number of years, and I've killed a number of bears, and all, all of us here have killed bears at bear baits, and we've all been bear baiting for years. Um, I have had several bear baits that have been hit at, at an existing bear bait that I've baited in years previous. Um, I've had bears hit as early as the last couple of days of April. Mm-hmm. That's not the norm. No, it's not. But usually by May 10th to May 15th, 
I've got a couple bears on all of my stands. Yep. Um, and then obviously throughout May, as more of them are starting to move around and kind of cover some more territory and find their food sources, mm-hmm. they'll. Uh, that's usually by the end of May, I've got my average number of bears. And mm-hmm. then when the rut happens, I'll see a decrease in activity for a bit. And then the last two weeks of June are like the hot week. Yeah. That's when um, boars and sows will still be paired up sometimes, but usually they'll be starting to split off by then. Is At least that's what I've seen. Right. And uh, that's when a lot of them, you know, it's post rut, they're done, they're tired, they're mm-hmm. exhausted, they're hungry. Yeah. And they come back and they just gorge themselves and well, they, they live at those bears. I was going to say, that's, that's when you get those bears that sit yeah. and they just stay there yeah. and they'll right. even sleep next to the barrel. Six and, hour bears. That, yeah. That, that, yeah. You'll get into a bait and it'll be demolished and you'll think, man, I've got five or six of them and it might just be one yeah. that's been there for a day <laughs> eating. Yeah. And uh, he's probably not far if that's the mm-hmm. case. But anyway, so bear baiting is a great tool of management. It's a lot of work. There is no small amount of effort. Right. We used to joke and say that we uh, that, that our bear bait bears were thousand dollar kills. <laughs> well, with the gas prices and <laughs> right. uh, with the inflation that right. uh, apparently doesn't exist according to our government, we're not going to get into that. But. Um, with the cost of everything now, with fuel yeah. and dog food and components, you know, Betum 907 products that, mm-hmm. that we work right. with, everything goes up in this yeah. economy. And so now I, it wouldn't surprise me if we put well over $1,000 into oh, each yeah. bear that we kill, especially if we only kill it. one or two in a year, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, we're going to talk so, a little bit and just lead into just setting up a bear bait, picking a spot from... From zero to getting mm. one into the woods this spring. Right. So I'll let you go ahead and kick Well, it I was just going to kind of go into a little bit about what a bear bait is. Because like you said, there's a lot of people that just assume it's, it's super easy. Mm-hmm. Assume it's a, a, just a, a gimme kind of hunt. And the reality of the situation is just so polar opposite of that. Yeah. The amount of planning and effort and work that goes into a bear bait. It is completely unbelievable that people would think that's not bear chase. Because, like you said, in a lot, in a lot of these places, it's way too thick. It's yeah. way too covered up to be able to spot and stalk. But these bears still need to be managed. Yeah. Their favorite food in the spring is ca- uh, moose caps. Oh, yeah. And they're, yeah. There's, there's a particular point in the, the baiting season where you're going to see a drop-off or even a, a lack of activity at your bait because the moose calves are dropping and they're going to catch those or yeah. they're going to literally yeah. sit in the bushes and wait for that calf to drop yeah. and run out and mm-hmm. take it from the mother. Yeah. I've seen it happen. Yeah. And without the ability to bait them, mm-hmm. that would become out of hand. Oh, yeah. And we're already struggling with some right. of the moose numbers due to yeah. even like with what we talked about with the sheep, the winter kills and things like that. There's a guy I know that, that, that used to be a biologist for Fish and Game, mm-hmm. and he was a part of, um, of a huge project a few years back yeah. about uh, tracking bears. Mm. And they would helicopter around and tag some bears. He said that if Alaskans knew the density of bears, a lot of people would quit going out. Yeah. Because <laughs> we really don't have any clue how right. many bears are in the state. There are thousands oh, and yeah. thousands of bears. I believe even just 
just grizzly bears, yeah. the estimate is north of 35,000. Wow. So, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's dense. That's incredible. But the basics of what we mean when we're talking about a bear bait, for those that don't know or for those that are opposed to them, which usually means you don't know much about it. Yeah. <laughs> Not to be offensive. Yeah, yeah, but it's... But it's the truth. Yeah. Is we're going into specific areas that yeah. we have scoped out and scouted and figured out that there are bears in these areas, or at least we hope there's bears in these areas. It looks like a likely place for bears. And we'll explain what that means. Yeah. And setting up food for them. Yeah. Basically. I mean, it, it's pretty self-explanatory when you think about it. Yeah. But the amount of strategy that you have to imply when you're presenting a bait for mm-hmm. bears particularly, because yeah. I really want to dive into understanding bear behavior for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. Because they're not, they're not and I'm not bashing people to do this, but it's not corn piles for whitetail. Yeah. It's not, right. they're not just going to wander in without any caution and, and go eat at the corn pile. They, yeah. These things are skittish, for one. They're very caution-based. They will circle a bait a ton of times before they ever commit. Some and do, yeah. Some, yeah. yeah. And... You have to do a lot of work and a lot of strategizing to get them to commit and yeah. to get them to come in. And it takes a lot of establishing that bait. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's hard for me to, to understand the, the viewpoint of people that won't even give it a try. Well, yeah. I think it, a lot of it is just, <clears throat> I mean, I mean, you think about it. If, if I was going to describe bear baiting very, very quickly to somebody mm-hmm. and I said, oh, I just, you know, I take some dog food, throw some grease on it, throw some scent out, throw a tree stand up and I go kill a bear. Yeah, which is the short and fast of it, but you know I've done that and not put good scent out, mm-hmm. and in a spot that's a couple yeah. miles from a spot where I know there's, you know, where I've had a dozen different bears on in mm-hmm. a week, mm-hmm. and had nothing hit it because I didn't take the time to put proper scent. Yeah, in, right. And so I mean, w- when it comes to, and and I put a tremendous amount of work into it. Oh yeah. Still. yeah. Yeah. You know, I put a tremendous amount of work into bear baiting last year. I mean, you say $1,000 bears, but I didn't get a bear last year. And yeah. who knows how much money I spent in fuel <laughs> and, and, yeah. and bait. And, 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 you know, not last year, but, you know, cameras eating. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Now, just a quick side tangent here. Mm. On the Northern Hunter website, we have an article uploaded that Mariah wrote. Mm. Um, I, 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 remind me the title of it. Go it, ahead, James. It's... Um, I don't remember because you just put it up. It was a while ago. I, it, so. <laughs> I believe it's called an, an Alaskan Hunter's View on Fear of Bears. Okay. Now, Mariah has, uh, he, he's, he's the born and raised Alaskan yes. in, the, in our group here. Yep. And uh, I, I was also born in Alaska, but I wasn't raised my entire childhood years here. Mm-hmm. And Mariah's been at Bear Bait since he was seven years old. Yep. And he did a phenomenal job yes, talking absolutely. about uh, w- w- what I like to call paranoia. Mm-hmm. And people that walk around, you know, they they think that they're going to see a bear behind every tree mm-hmm. and uh, a grizzly bear over every hill, and they live in constant fear of a bear encounter. Yeah, because of what they heard about a bear attack in Yellowstone Park, right? <laughs> Something right. that gets a ton of publicity every year. Yeah, and while those are very dangerous bears, those are very different bears. They are right, and not saying that you're not going to ever have a bad encounter or an aggressive encounter with mm. a bear in Alaska, um, your mental state mm. plays into that 
and and how that's going to go tremendously. It does. Your ability to process and think clearly mm-hmm. and quickly in a bear encounter is going to determine how it comes out. It if is. it indeed does choose violence over peace, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> Woke if up it chooses, morning. if it chooses attack over escape, well, yeah. then you need to be prepared for it. But you, you also need to understand that it's not going to happen behind every corner, right? Your likelihood of actually seeing one while on a hike up a up a well known trail mm-hmm. is pretty low, right? You, you know, it there really there, is. There was an interesting. I, I don't know if I'd call it a statistic, but. There, there was an interesting article I read one time that said majority of people that have hiked in Alaska, not hunted, hiked. Yeah. yeah. So that, I guess, includes hunters, but have been within 40 yards of a bear multiple times and just mm-hmm. never known it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I've, got, I've got the number of black bears in Alaska pulled up here. Okay. Um, let's do the next edition of the Northern Hunter Trivia. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anybody, take a stab, guys. So you said 37,000 thousand for grizzly bears. Yep. I'm going to go with... 65,000 for black bears. Mm, that's what I was going to go. <laughs> um, let's do a low ball. Let's say 50,000. Uh, estimated 100,000 black bears in Alaska. Oh. Yeah. That's... Man, I lost both of those by a long shot. Ursus Americanus. <laughs> wow. Man, 100,000 black bears. And that's estimated. That's estimated. There's probably yeah. more. Right. Probably more. So if that doesn't prove the need to manage these, because look up the moose population real quick for me. Yeah. Now, quickly, while you're doing yeah. that, I, I'm just going to kind of cap what I was just saying there about mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. and being familiar with bears and preparing yourself mentally mm-hmm. for an encounter. If you spend a ton of time out in the woods, you're eventually going to run into a bear. Yes, absolutely. That it's going to happen. Now, people love to say, well, you know, you, you can hunt an entire lifetime and, and, uh, and, and never even see a bear. Or I've hunted Alaska two or three times and I've never even seen one. Mm-hmm. I've seen tracks, but I've never even seen one. Well, that's like saying, well, you know, y- your chances of being struck by lightning are this. <laughs> right. Well, if that's somebody that only goes into the mountains once or twice a year on a hiking trip mm-hmm. and they never go in a rainstorm, then sure, your chances might be real darn low of ever getting struck by lightning. But if you put yourself on a mountaintop 100 days a year in California or a state that gets a lot of rain squalls and lightning storms, Mm -hmm. and uh, you're in a tent with with tent poles, (laughs) or you're holding a trekking pole, or better yet, carrying a rifle with a a steel barrel sticking off the top of your pack... (laughs) Your chances go exponentially up. Yeah. And the same thing goes for bear encounters. Just because you think, well, you know, I, I know so many guys that, that have never even seen a bear. Well, they're hunting two to three weeks out of the year, mm. and they're probably not bear baiting. Yeah. The number of bear baiters in Alaska is not as high as it very well could be. No, it's not. And proportionately speaking, it's much lower than those that go hunting for ungulate species a few weeks a year. Mm-hmm. If you're bear baiting, that is your exponential increase of chance of encounter Mm -hmm. you're trying to get these bears in at close range (laughs) right what do you think is going to happen when you come walking into a bear bait and you have 30 yards of visibility and you have food there for them yeah you hope they're there do you think they're just going to wait for you to get in your tree stand and they'll come in they don't know any better right i couldn't tell you how many bears i have run off of bear baits while i'm walking in with 120 pounds of dog food and grease and my gear on my back Mm -hmm. gun in hand 
round in the chamber, by the way, yeah. ready for things to get Western. And it never has gotten too Western. Mm -hmm. I, I've had a couple encounters where I thought I was going to have to shoot something in a defensive um, right. uh, capacity. Uh, sows with cubs that just get aggressive. Mm. But many, many times I'll come in and I'll, and I'll hear a grizzly bear lumbering off into the brush as he hears me coming and you hear the right as he walks right. off and he's not happy about it. Right. There, you put yourself in a much higher chance situation when you're bear baiting. So that, yep. that's something to be really aware of. It is. And I really love the line that Mariah used in his article. And the reference to Claymore mines and how all the operators yeah. say front toward enemy. That's what <laughs> yeah. you guys are just like. That's what's written on the claim. <laughs> all the praise in this but, episode. But, but, but he, <laughs> well, don't give too much of the, of the article away. <laughs> but they they got to go read it. <laughs> but he used the example. He said, use that for bears and yeah. front toward bear. Right. Don't turn your back while right. you're setting up your stand. If, if you're going in to dump your bait at your bear site, mm. at, at your bear bait, don't just bend over and dump your dog food bag out. Keep your head up. Yeah. Keep your head on a swivel. You are at a site that they want. Mm -hmm. And especially if you already have bears there, man, you don't know if one could be standing 50 feet away and you, yeah. you wouldn't even know he's there. But if he decides to come in that moment, you're in trouble. Yep. If you have your head down and your rifle is sitting up against a tree 30 yards away at your stand or however far away, if it's out of reach, it's too far. Yeah. You know, and if and you need to have a sidearm at a bear bait. Mm. Yeah. That that's yeah. just I was gonna, that, I was gonna say that. Always have something on your person. I walk in with no. a rifle in my hands, mm. but I have a sidearm on me because I can't get that pack off with my rifle in my hands. I can't. Yeah, right. I can't climb a tree. You know, I like you know. You should hopefully be okay climbing a tree. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know the bear is not gonna can't really run up the tree after you. They can climb, but yeah, <laughs> you know, chances are once you're in the tree, you've got a few seconds to respond. Right. But when you're when you're dumping bait, when you're spreading scent, when you're checking your mm -hmm. camera, you've got a number of things yeah. you're gonna do that your rifle, while you might have it over your shoulder or it might be in a hand, you're just not gonna be able to respond with in the time you can yeah. draw and and, and, well, and come down on with a gun. And in a lot of those situations, you know, granted, the barrel may be a somewhat open area because obviously you have your shooting lane there where you, you want to be able to see it from your stand. Right. But the rest of the time when you're spreading scent and you're spreading this grease around and spraying these it's smell goods, you're in a area. very yeah. tight yeah. area. And we'll get into that in a little bit as far as the areas for bear baits. Right. But, you know, typically you don't have a lot of great visibility and you're spreading a smell that smells a really good to a bear mm -hmm. yeah and so the, you know you really want to keep your keep your wits about you now yeah i did you were you able to find that moose number i was you guys All want right. to take a stab at that well i have i have a point i want to make okay on that. so what's the oh, oh as far as guessing it yeah oh uh i'm gonna guess hmm. come on guys hurry up we don't i gotta uh, keep talking man. if you're not gonna say anything <laughs> so, so it's not too much dead space here <laughs> right i'm gonna say seventy thousand. Okay, Dalton. Seventy-five thousand. <laughs> huh. Wow, you guys are very, very like out, way out of the ballpark. Really? Um, or, or actually, I mean, you haven't even hit the ball. Uh, <laughs> One hundred and seventy-five <laughs> to two hundred thousand. Really? Whoa. Which I mean, it kind of makes okay. sense to me because I've been in some pretty high. I mean, I moose hunt in a decently high density bear area, and I don't see a lot of bears. You know, through the amount of bears you see versus the mm. amount of moose I'm going to see. You know what? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. We've right. gone on bear hunts where you, we see two dozen moose and we may see one or two bears the whole time yeah. right mm -hmm. yeah. and there's more bears in that area and they just do a better job of hiding very the moose. reclusive 
But yeah. there's not so, two dozen bears where those two dozen moose are. Right. Or else there wouldn't so, be two dozen so, moose. So you said 175,000? To 200,000. To yeah. 200,000? And 135,000 bears. Let's just guesstimate half of those are cows. And let's just guesstimate that, I don't know, three quarters of those are pregnant and dropping calves. You've got what in total between black and brown bears? 135,000 bears that all like moose calves. Yeah. So right. that's, that's a pretty substantial. I mean, honestly, there's probably a lot more than more cows than half. Probably. I was just trying yeah. to be a conservative number. But yeah. that's, I mean, really that's the reason for, I mean, yeah. managing these populations. Yeah. And, you know, it really is important. Yeah. Now, part of what, what you were going into, Dalton, with, with the being aware of the bears that you're hunting. Yeah. I, I think it's really important for people to understand the animal they're going after. And when mm-hmm. we've, when you've decided you want a bear bait and you are going to go after these bears because they need to be managed and more people need to get out there and do that. Yeah. Understanding the animal is the biggest component there. Mm-hmm. So why don't you go into just bear behavior, I should say. What, what can people expect from black bears, how they behave at a bait, what they're ultimately trying to do at a bait, maybe even versus what, how a grizzly bear will will be understanding the animal yeah black bears tend to be a lot more docile Mm. at a bait site i would i would would agree with that yeah yeah. key word there is tend to be now with everything we say here there are going to be exceptions right well each bear is an individual right and that's that's what i was just going to say they're (laughs) all individuals and you know most people that you're going to encounter at your local sportsman's warehouse are going to be real nice guys and you know they you say, excuse me, sir, and you're trying to get around them, it's no big deal. But you're occasionally going to have the uh, the <laughs> agitated individual that can't find what he's looking for, and mm-hmm. you're just not contributing to his good, you know, <laughs> to him improving his day, so he's going to lash out at you. Same type of thing happens at a bear bait. Yep. You know, nine times out of ten, black bears are going to be real docile. They're mm-hmm. going to come in. And they're just going to do their thing and they're going to leave. Yeah. And even if you're on the ground with them, like I said, even if you're not on a ground blind, mm. um, if, if you bump one at a bait site and you're carrying in bait or just coming in to check cameras and there's one on the ground, even if he just stands there and looks at you for a minute, the mm-hmm. chances are he's just going to look. He's going to decide, yeah, that thing's pretty tall. He smells weird. I'm going to go walk off and I'll come back when I think he's gone. Right. And I'll come back and get to eating. That's most bears. Yeah. But I've been pushed out of bear bait sites Mm -hmm. by black bears that get belligerent and say, nope, you're not interfering with my meal. You're going to leave because I don't know what you are. Mm -hmm. Like I said, you smell weird and (laughs) you're talking to me. And what is even that? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Because all of us, all of us here. All of us here talk to bears when, when they're yeah. on the ground and we don't want to shoot them on the ground if we're yeah. trying or if it's not a target bear, we're, hey, bear, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. move along, move along, right. not screaming and agitating it, just trying right. to talk softly and just try to get it to move off because it's all unfamiliar to them, right? Yep. Right. Your hope is and your goal is if you're not trying to shoot it, you're just trying to move them off peacefully. Yeah, and to mm-hmm. not surprise them. Right, exactly. Right, yeah. And so, that, like I said, black bears are generally going to be the more docile of the two. Mm. even with grizzly bears they're most of the time going to be gone before you even get there Mm. i've only had it happen with grizzlies a couple times where i'll come into a bait and they refuse to leave yeah a couple times it's happened 
generally speaking, they're going to be a little bit more, um, well, they're going to be a lot more aware. Mm-hmm. Their, their, their sensitivity is much higher than black bears is. And most of the time, that means they're going to be gone before we even get there. Mm-hmm. Um, on occasion, they'll, they'll stick around. Yeah. But most of the time, mm-hmm. they'll be gone before we even get there. Yeah. However, if you do have a grizzly bear that does stick around when you're walking in, you need to be ready because mm-hmm. something's off. He's uh, the, the fact. Okay. If I walk into a bear bait and there's a black bear standing there, there's there's oftentimes a lot of time to react and you can kind of have an interaction if you will mm, there's going right. to be a process that goes uh with a black bear standing there staring at you wondering what in the world's going on at my bait pile right and with a grizzly bear if he's standing there that's a move of aggression on his part right usually that's that's a stance of nope not going to happen buddy and he's trying to intimidate you. With a black bear, that's not the case. Yep. With a grizzly bear, and I've had this happen once, um, where he'll stand there and then advance a little bit. And he'll kind of move on you and try to force you into a move. Either for you to run, which is the absolute worst thing you can do <laughs> at a bear bait. Right. That triggers their predatory instinct. And right. now... Well, what's this thing doing and running away from me? I'm gonna go bite it and see what it tastes like. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. That, that's exactly how they're wired. Yeah. That's why you don't run from bears, right? Mm-hmm. But with a grizzly bear, th- th- I mean, it goes without saying they're a totally different animal. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I don't, I don't want people to think that bears are bears are bears. They're not. They're not. No. And grizzly bears behave a very different way than black bears. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I we, uh, I, I was talking to a guy recently. Uh, that I'm going to be doing some hunting with this year, actually doing a lot of bear baiting with. And he, he told me a story that I found really interesting. And this is, this is one of those lightning strike situations, right? Mm-hmm. This is pretty unlikely, even at a bear bait. He got into his stand. He, was, uh, he hadn't even gotten his SD cards out to check his cameras yet. He had dumped some bait, I think. He'd freshened it up, sprayed out some new scent, I think. And him and his friend got up in the stand, and they were ripping open some ripping open some bags of beef jerky, making some noise. They weren't really expecting to start hunting yet. I think it was a little bit early in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And he leaned over and asked his buddy, who was more experienced than he was, he said, uh, "What do you think the odds are of a grizzly bear walking in a situation like this?" And his buddy said, "None. Mm. Not going to happen. We're making too mm-hmm. much noise. We haven't done anything to cover our scent. We're covered in sweat." You know, um, there's, there's no chance a grizzly bear is walking in here, right? Well, like five minutes later, a sow and an adult cub mm-hmm. come strolling in. <sighs> and grizzly bears do that when they walk. Yep. Okay. They, they make a very different noise than black bears do. Um, it, it, it's just, it yeah. just sounds like a fat guy walking through the woods. Be, uh, <laughs> and, yeah. No offense, no offense, right, but, yeah. but that's what it sounds like. Right, yeah. Like, like the, it almost sounds like they're breathing laboriously, mm-hmm. right? Like there's a lot of effort going into their breath and they're, they're very, they're very vocal with their, mm-hmm. <laughs> with how they breathe. They right? usually mm-hmm. let you know they're there. Yeah, yeah. You can sit in a stand and be reading a book. Black yeah. bear walks in and you'll look up and he's, you hear him crunching the bait and that's how you know he's there yeah, a lot right. of the time. Yeah. You hear a grizzly bear coming a mile away. Yeah. 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 You can hear him coming in and you know that's a grizzly bear. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, this, this sow with a cub walks in right underneath your stand, goes right to the bait and just starts munching down. 
And they're talking to it, trying to get it to leave because obviously they can't kill it. It's got a cub with it, right? And the bear just hung out Mm -hmm. for a long period of time. And then it walked out via the trail that they walked in on. (laughs) And he said, I looked down, I I looked back up the trail from the stand and she was sitting 50 yards up the hill looking down the trail, (laughs) just like poised to come mm-hmm. at whatever was going to come into her food pile. Yep. And she just acted real aggressively. She wouldn't leave. She was very nonchalant about mm-hmm. the fact that they were there. She didn't care at all. And when they walked out, I mean, they were ready to do battle when they were walking out of there because that bear is acting very, very strange. Right. Those are the ones, when you see a bear exhibit unnatural... um lack of fear for mm-hmm. humans that's a bear you got to keep you've yep. got to be careful with that right bear. that's the, that is the one in a thousand bears that'll mm-hmm. eat you alive mm-hmm. and you know that the troopers will find your clothes in the woods and you're going to be in a bear's stomach right you're going to be in trouble if you turn your back on that bear that is yep. that is a situation where you where your sixth sense needs to kick in and you need to walk out of there like you're in a combat zone. Yeah. Rifle at the low ready, if not stock on your shoulder. And I've done that before. Oh yeah, me too. It, that and that's where that's where it's good to let yourself kick into hyperdrive. Yeah. And be ultra aware. Well, and, and the way that I look at it, because I've I've run baits where I haven't had a, a grizzly one yeah. ever on that bait. And I still walk into that bait yeah. expecting an aggressive grizzly because because that is you could even have that with a black bear too right or an aggressive black bear but i i, I mentally prepare myself to deal with a, a threat of that caliber yeah and the reason for that is because complacency is where you run into problems mm-hmm. right even if you've never seen a grizzly at your bait oh there's only black bears in this valley that's fine until it's not the case right yeah and right and you have to be mentally prepared and ready for that to be the case and, because there's a lot of people that I know that will kind of go into their bear baits just a little willy-nilly and kind mm-hmm. of, I don't know how to also describe it, lackadaisical, yeah. 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 And if they were to be put in that situation with that one in a thousand bear, they're not ready they're for, not ready for yeah. it. I, I know it, guys that will go into a, a hot bait without a rifle. Yeah. And it scares the daylights you know, out of me. I for used that to person. do that. I used to carry just, just my 45 and my bow mm-hmm. and I had an arrow knocked, you know, yeah. and, and we got to have my dad on here to talk about his yeah. experience. Oh, he shot a yeah. bear with a bow, uh, mm-hmm. with a, a DLP defense of life and property. And that's just insane story. Yeah. But, um, and he wasn't baiting at the time, but, yeah. uh, or else yeah. he probably would have been able to keep the bear. But, um, <laughs> You know, with, uh, you know, grizzly bears, grizzly bears, black bears are going to, might try to push you off, but you really, at least in my experience, you're not going to really have to worry about that black bear attacking you. Yeah. You know, unless it's a sound cubs and and her cubs are behind you. Mm. Right. Um, Grizzly bears are far, far more likely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you say that's a one in, you know, one in a million bear or lightning strike, but I mean, I've definitely. But how many times have we had that happen? It's really not that uncommon and there's yeah. it just seems to be it's a lot of it seems to have to do with area i've had yeah. areas where i've yeah. never ever seen a bear a grizzly bear i've had a dozen bears on the bait within a couple weeks and i've never actually seen a bear on the bait because they won't come in if they can smell me right right and then there's other areas where you go in and you just can't if, if you walk in and they're there there's two of them and, and they're both mm. trying to push you off right yeah you know and grizzly bears tend to be a lot more um predator predator like 
Yeah. If they're there, they're, they'll, 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 aggressive. they'll move yeah. back into the woods and pop their teeth at you as you walk in. They'll, right. they'll move around. They'll circle you as you're yeah. walking and you talk about yeah. excitement. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Almost as if they're patrolling their region. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. No, not, not, and that be, I guess on that note, black bears will retreat to a safe distance that mm. they think if they're going to stick around. And a lot of times they do. Yeah. When you have an established bear bait, you need to go in there with the mindset of there is very likely more than one bear mm-hmm. within a quarter mile of me right now. Right. Oh, yeah. Very, very likely. Right. If not much closer. I can't tell you how many times I've shot a bear and then blood trailed it, you know, 15, 20, 30 yards mm-hmm. back into the thick stuff where I don't go yeah. while the bait is active. And I mean, they are living there. Yeah. Piles of, uh, of, uh, of bear scat mm-hmm. and beat down trails and beds. I mean, right. they are literally living right there. Right. I've walked yeah. into baits uh, a month, 30 days after the bait was eaten off yeah. to clean it up because it was end of the season and I hadn't hunted in those in between those times, hadn't baited it up, just went in to grab my tree stand, mm-hmm. pull out any garbage that may have been left and spread around by the bears and um, grab the cameras and got home later and actually had a buddy with me. We were just out riding. I was like, hey, let's go clean this bait up. We're out here riding. Yeah. And um, we walk in there and he sees it's all laid up and he'd tried bear baiting once. Yeah. And had no success. Oh, yeah, yeah. said, oh, it's not worth, yeah. you know, it's not worth it. And he goes, can I have the spot? And I was like, well, it's, I didn't really like it. And at the time, I was like, it's all yours, man. Of course, he hasn't <laughs> done anything with it. But um, I got home, checked the cameras. It may have been a few days later, even that I pull, bothered to pull the SD cards out because I didn't really care. Right. You know, I just right. wanted to, I wanted to check what was hitting, but I knew it was all grizzlies. Yeah. And sure enough, it was all grizzlies, but it was in the middle of the day. You mm-hmm. know, it was like, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon. I think it was like noon. And we... Chased, sure. We as we walked into that bait or rode up to it, mm-hmm. bears ran off. Thirty days after no bait, yeah. yeah, multiple grizzly bears were there just eating the dirt and cleaning, eating the and they out were of the there dirt. multiple times a week. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've seen that same thing where if if you leave a bait because I, I had a bait that I had gone out and I'd set up initially to to hunt mm-hmm. and just. I ended up getting busy at my other one and, and life kind of got in the way. This was in the, in the early years. And I went back to clean up at the end of season. Hadn't actually made it out there to hunt except to drop a couple piles. I didn't even put a barrel. I just put a couple piles of, of yeah, boot out there. That's all you do. And, um, and it was amazing how much they were hanging out there. Yeah. Just all times of day, yeah. completely comfortable. They, there was, multiple bears i think on one video i had four bears in in one video yep. in the image yeah and just hanging out sleeping right on the food pile oh yeah and, and so don't think they're not doing that yeah just because you're not there <laughs> right. <laughs> right right expect them to be doing that there's a thing my uh my wife says i have it sometimes but it's i guess it's a thing kids do where when you're not around a person you just kind of forget that person exists or forgets that they do things mm. outside of when yeah. they're with you okay it, yeah. it's some kind of some kind of i don't know time blindness thing but I, i've noticed it's, people tend to do that with baits well they, it, they tend to think well there wasn't anything last time yeah. i was in there so it's, it's complacency yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, they walk in like just because and, and i've walked in where i've had no bears no bears no bears and i'm like screw it i'm gonna go check it mm-hmm. just because just because and yeah, i walk in and 200 up. pounds of dog food is it's gone just gone yeah and i just checked it four or five days it's ago. It's funny because I've set up baits and not had anything for two months. And a lot of it's just because I didn't scent it up well. But right. last year I set up a bait close to, with it, it was legal, but it mm. was still close to residential areas. 
um, a lot closer than you'd kind of even expect bears to be, be just because some of the stuff that was surrounding. And I was like, you know what? It's close. It's easy. Let me throw something out there. Mm-hmm. I think it was, we were looking at stuff the other day. It was like 24 hours. Yeah. I, I had set up. This is not an established bait. It's mm-hmm. just a spot I knew I could. So I went in there. I threw out some quick scent. I threw 50 pounds of dog food. 24 hours later, the bears had hit it. Cut three days later, after setting it up, I went in there. It was completely cleaned out. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was crazy. It, it was crazy. Like, right. And it was grizzlies in area. I couldn't hunt them. And so it wasn't worth it. So I cleaned it all up. And, but it was just insane that bears were there that fast. In fact, yeah. they were there that fast. I didn't draw them in. You yeah. Know, they were there. No, no yeah. Right. It, yeah. Right. They were already there. Yeah. And yeah. The, the point I was wanting to make, though, is that that is what you want to expect. And that is a possibility. And, and especially if you're going after grizzlies mm-hmm. and things like that with them being aggressive and whatnot, and even black bears can, can be that way. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of cases, that's not what you're going to experience. And, and right. what I want for people to take away is to be aware that that is a possibility. Yeah. To walk in prepared for that to be a possibility. Yeah. But a lot of people also view bears through the same lens that people view, say, like the great white shark. Yeah. In the yeah. ocean. Yeah. You know, there's mm-hmm. just these mad crazy bloodthirsty animals yeah and if they see you they're going to charge you and if, if they smell you you're just the next meal and it's really just not the case yeah. in, in a lot of in a lot of cases bears are what i would describe as timid yeah you know well, they're, they're going to smell you coming it, or they it, hear you coming and like you natural, said they're going to back away it's a natural fear of human beings which mm-hmm. is right. instilled in them by right. god you know, all of us believe, you know, God mm. gave us dominion over, over the animal kingdom. Yeah. And I think it's instilled in them, you know? Yeah. I, I, I don't know of any animal that will just stand there and look at you if they know what people are and they've mm-hmm. never seen one before. Now, the only exception to that, I, I guess, would be obvious. If they've never seen a human being before, right. then they might not really know what to think of you right away but once they figure out what you are yeah they have that instilled fear of humans yep and like i mentioned before the only time that i've really had situations where i've been a little bit intimidated if you will at mm-hmm. a bear bait is when a bear doesn't show that fear of human right and that that's the one that you got to watch out for mm-hmm. but again that's not really all that common no and, and honestly, the fact that it's not all that common is what makes bear baiting so interesting. Yeah. Is because in a lot of cases, they are going to be, they might come into the edge of the bait yeah. while you're sitting there. Yeah. And they might just kind of dance around the edges yeah. real quick because they know something's up. Yeah. If you haven't done a super good job of covering your scent and yeah. and, 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 and even everything. if you have, they can still smell. It. Right. Yeah. And, and they are just super smart creatures. Yeah, they're they're very interesting to watch at a bait when you set up puzzles for them and things like that, especially yeah. black bears. Yeah, I, I set up all kinds of puzzles for those things. <laughs> they're yeah. just so much fun to watch. Yeah. They're tearing down a, mm-hmm. a, a pile of sticks I've put up in front of the barrel for them to sort through, and they're actually figuring out which ones to pull and things. It, it's so much yeah. fun to watch them. Yeah, but I I don't want people to not go for the fear of that right. one in a thousand bear. Right, it is a possibility, but. The thing, the reason you have to strategize so much for these baits is because they're very cautious critters. Yeah. Hey guys, if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you've likely heard Dalton and I go back and forth about bullet construction. Now I like rapid expanding bonded core bullets that leave massive wound channels. I've also stated I would never use a monolithic bullet. 
Well, I'm here to tell you about the company that finally changed my mind. Hammer Bullets produces what I would consider the most premium and best working monolithic bullets on the market today. These bullets are designed so that after penetrating the hide of an animal, the front half of the bullet explodes, shedding its petals and imparting massive damage to the vital areas while retaining the rear shank for maximum penetration, effectively closing the gap between lead core and monolithic construction. The guys at Hammer designed these bullets with 100% focus on how they perform once they reach their destination. But don't let that fool you. These bullets have amazing VCs and have specialized pressure groups built in for amazing inherent accuracy. They have a minimum velocity rating of 1800 feet per second, which allows for long range shots, but have no maximum velocity, making them perfect for every cartridge from your granddaddy's old 3030 to the high velocity rounds like the Weatherby 3378 without having to worry about your bullet failing. They've also recently partnered with Weatherby to provide factory ammunition for a multitude of cartridges. To view their expansive selection and find the perfect match for your hunting needs, go to hammerbullets.com to buy yours today and drop the hammer on your next adventure. By far and away, I think, and we would all agree, is that the, the most important thing you can do to, uh, I, I guess we'll just say, to, to trick a bear into coming into a bait while you're there mm-hmm. is having enough scent to make them more interested in the bait mm-hmm. yeah. than they are scared of you. You've got to get their stomach to overpower their brain. Right. That's a great way of putting it. And the, the, the whole fear of bears thing, you know, there's the old saying that, that I know we've said before, but prepare for the worst, mm-hmm. hope for the best. You're probably not going to have any problems, yep. but that's if you exercise caution. Yeah. If you go in unprepared, not ready for the worst, and something does happen, right. even if it wasn't going to end poorly for you, it might scare you so bad that you think it was going to end poorly. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to read mm-hmm. their body language, mm-hmm. and again, I'm going to reference Mariah's article, in order to be able to read a bear, you got to see it. Yeah, And when you see it, you can get that visual reading of, mm-hmm. are their ears pointed up? Are they trying to pay attention? Are they sniffing the air? Are they just curious? Like, what is this? What's going on? Yeah. Or are they, you know, head down, looking at you through the top of their eyes and their hackles are up and they're pounding the ground and they're, mm-hmm. and, and they're woofing at me? That's a very different situation. Yeah. You know? you, but you have to be able to read that. Mm-hmm. But uh, so... Mariah, since since you're the the author of the article, okay, give the people a little bit of a breakdown. I know you went into it a bit in the mm-hmm. article, but at what point do you realize, from your experience mm-hmm. and, and all the times you've been out there, at what point do you realize I'm on the ground with this bear, but this is not a dangerous encounter, or at what point do you realize that, okay, I need to really present myself in a way that will be defensive mm-hmm. in case this turns south because it's looking like it's going to turn south. And, and I know you went into that a little bit, so everybody go read that yeah. article, but <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, so don't, don't give away those details. I but. will bree- breeze around what I covered in the article. Yeah. So, so, so you have still need to go read it, right? <laughs> there um, you go. <laughs> well, and, and I didn't really, honestly, I, I referenced a few things as examples, but I didn't, I specifically on purpose, it's not an article about what to do in the situation. Right, it's yeah. more of a mindset you need to have. 
And so I didn't cover, you know, what this bear, what a bear does and, and all that stuff. I'll, I'll probably mm-hmm. do that. And one of us will do that in a future article. Yeah. But because, because you have chased off several grizzlies off baits. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and, and I, not only have I done that, but, um, I, you know, my dad is multiple times and yeah. just all kinds of situations with black bears and grizzly bears and just kind of growing up all around it and in it. Um, so if I walk into a bait and grizzly bear, black bear is there, um, like, like, like Dalton said, and as I said in the article, if I, if I can see a bear, I can read it. Mm-hmm. And for, you know, for, for one, like he said, also, I, I'm going to keep my, I'm going to be facing the bear. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be trying to read the bear, what he's doing. And, and he referenced already, like, you know, if the bear's pounding the ground, if he's popping his teeth, you know, they can huff or mm-hmm. they can pop their teeth. A lot of times huffing is more of a, and popping their teeth. They're both warnings trying to see what you're going to do. So it's pounding the ground. If they're doing those things, they're trying to figure out what you're going to do. Right. And and how you're going to respond. They're being aggressive, but they're trying to figure out how they're going to resp- how you're going to respond. And if they're looking at you and their eyes are glued on you, mm-hmm. they're probably a lot more likely to come at you. If they're looking at you and they're looking looking, say, behind them. Mm. It it may be a sow checking on our cubs, but mm-hmm. a lot of times a bear, if if they're unsure of what to do, they're just like a they're just like a puppy dog. Yeah. They're gonna look at they're a puppy dog who's tra- who's ma- meeting a stranger for the first time that, mm. that's a friend of the owner. Yeah. They they look from the owner to to the stranger and they look from the owner to the stranger and a bear who's unsure mm. uh is going to do that. He's going to look at you and he's going to look behind him. He's going to look at you. He's going to look behind he, he's him. He's finding his escape path basically. I, I've seen that multiple times. Yeah, yeah. Where if a bear is unsure of what what they're facing mm-hmm. and and honestly you need to assert your dominance. Yeah. And, yeah. and I don't mean you're not yelling. No. Mm-hmm. No. And you know any animal can smell fear. Yeah. Right, that's kind of a well-known fact. Um, but you no, know, you just stand up, stand up tall. If there's multiple people, one of the biggest deterrents yeah. for any kind of animal attack is spread out a little bit. Because if there's more than one target, it's very distracting for them. It confuses them. It yeah. confuses them, right? And uh, it and it and it makes you big, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and you say you can say get big, and that's what I would do there. If if a bear is coming, if I think a bear is coming at me, if I think there's any chance. Not necessarily any chance, but if I think if I think that bear is going to attack me very soon, mm-hmm. I'm going to start backing away. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going. But I'm going to pay attention to what's behind me, not by turning around. Maybe I'm going because I've been paying attention to what's happening while I'm going in. Right. I'm not going to back into a tree. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to keep a clear line of sight always between me and the bear. And if that bear starts moving my direction aggressively, you know my rifle's in my hand. I'm going to shoot it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know. Now, if it's a difference of that being. And a black bear backing you off just because he doesn't want you to eat the bait. If he, if the bear is acting aggressively, hair laid back, stomping the ground, popping his teeth, and he starts to come towards you, mm-hmm. it's a lot different situation than a black bear just kind of, just kind of wandering, walking towards you, just trying right. to push. And not like, like right. that's what happened with you. He was right. just, he just didn't want you to eat his bait. Yeah, he's just, mm-hmm. he's exactly. just testing to see what you're going to do. Yeah. And, and as I remember, you backed off and kind of worked back, and he finally kind of wandered off, and you climbed into your stand and. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if you shot him or not that night, but that, no, that, that one, I ended up not shooting it. That particular story that I think you're mentioning, it was the sow with three cubs. Oh, that's right. Mm, that was the that's black right. bear Gotcha. Sow. Yeah. But what you said is what, how am I going to determine what I'm going to do and what the bear's mm-hmm. thinking, whether or not the bear's a dangerous bear. Right. Uh, my response to that would be to say every bear's a dangerous bear. They're as much as we try to predict them, they can be unpredictable. Oh, yeah. Right. And, um, kind of falling back to they're all individuals. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. yeah. yeah I'm, right. 
you know, it's the craziest thing to, to, to go feed bears down by a river or something like people do <laughs> in, you know, in Southeast, you yeah. know, where they're down there and, you know, their right. signs don't feed the bears, but they can't help themselves. Right. Cause right. they're cute, fluffy critters. Right. With one smack of a paw, they're, they're gone. Yeah. Right? That's all it yeah. takes. Right. You know, and we could go into way more things on what to do and responses. And this isn't really, I don't think the episode for that. So the, the, there was one thing I was going to add as he was talking about this, that I'm sure he will corroborate with this. Reading a bear's body language. Yeah. Yes. Okay. If you walk into a bait site and there's a bear that, uh, let's just use black bears because this is far less likely to happen with a grizzly bear. Mm-hmm. Not impossible, but it's less likely. So with a black bear, if you get into your bait site and you're within, say, 30 yards of the, of the bait pile mm-hmm. and you're looking at him, he kind of looks at you and this situation plays out. He looks at you. He kind of turns. He doesn't show any display of any particular disposition, whether comfortable or uncomfortable or aggressive or defensive. Right. He just kind of turns, looks at you, looks around, kind of sniffs the air, and Mm -hmm. then walks leisurely Mm -hmm. just around the bait and just kind of looks at you. That's not a bear I'm really concerned about. Right, yeah. He's just there. And and I've seen that. He doesn't really know what to do. Right. He doesn't know if he wants to be aggressive yet. Again, every bear has the potential to be a bad bear. Right, yeah. But he's not in that position currently. Right. And and that's what I was getting at is I don't want people to think that just because every bear can be aggressive, that every bear is being aggressive. Right. Right. If that situation plays out you come into the you come into view of the bait he looks at you and he locks eyes his ears kind of go back a little bit you can see him kind of do you know some some rigid body movements where he kind of gets stiff Mm -hmm. maybe maybe he pounds the ground once or twice Mm -hmm. you might hear a little popping of his teeth or he might woof a little bit again black bear and then he kind of walks but he's kind of looking at you as he walks just because he's moving and walking around the bait doesn't mean he's not aggressive. That bear, right. is, that bear is being defensive. Yes, and that that that's really important because just to, just because a bear is kind of walking around and looks like he might be comfortable, his body language and how he walks, how he's posturing, how how yeah. slowly he mm-hmm. walks, mm-hmm. if he's looking at you as he's walking. That's a different situation than a bear right. that just kind of looks at you, gives you a glance, and then just kind of walks around and just kind of retreats a little bit. Mm-hmm. That bear just wants to eat and be left alone, right? right? Odds are that bear, that bear, you're going to climb up into your stand, mm-hmm. and that bear is going to come right back out, and you're going to get a shot. Yeah. The other bear is going to be the one that's going to kind of come out, and then he'll go behind the barrel, and then he'll come out again. And then if you try to get in your stand, he'll kind of advance a little bit, and I've had that. I've had both situations happen at the same bait, and one of them I think was with the same bear. Mm-hmm. I don't know 100% certain that it was, but I think it was the same bear and on on different days acting very, very differently. And maybe it was at the first time because it, this is the way it played out. He was situation A on day one, mm-hmm. and then I was in there a couple of days later, and I think it was the same bear. But now he knew what I was. Now he knew what I was doing. He knew I was going to hang out there for a while, maybe. Right. And now he didn't like me being there. Mm-hmm. He changed his disposition. Yeah. That's, but again, just because a bear is kind of walking around and moving and not charging you and not bluff charging you and not being super vocal 
doesn't mean that he's not going to start acting defensively. Right mm -hmm. now, that same situation, yep. a where a bear just kind of lumbers off and you know stays in sight and kind of maybe walks around the bait a little bit, watching you. At any second, mm. he could come at a full charge, ears back. Yeah. I mean, crouch down low to the ground, and he's going to come like a bullet train. Yep. And you got to be ready for that. I was just going to say, it, it can happen in the it blink of an eye. It can happen at any second. Yeah. Last year, um, my wife, uh, and, and you were there too, and with your wife, mm -hmm. and with my sister-in-law, you guys were all in there at a bait site together. <laughs> yeah, we were. My wife and her sister-in-law were in a ground blind, in my pop-up blind, mm -hmm. and you and your wife were up in the tree stand. Mm -hmm. And a, uh, a very mature black bear yeah. came in and walked around the bait a little bit and walked within i i think it was under 10 yards it was of I, that, I had my rifle pointed at it <laughs> of that ground blind yeah and my wife has a great picture <laughs> her sister took a photo over her shoulder of my wife with her with her 357 mag mm -hmm. pointed right at the bear's head yep and you can see the revolver in the bear's head and it was like right in line this big old pumpkin head of a black bear just yeah. poking out from behind a tree, just looking. But that yeah. bear, that bear just didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if he just didn't ever really have any interactions with folks. It's possible. It was it was really interesting when he came in. Yeah. Because he just kind of, it was very slow. Yeah. It was very intentional. Yeah. He just walked right in and just kind of meandered around. I mean, he probably poked around for four or five minutes before he ever investigated the ground blind. Yeah. You know, and we were just watching him having fun. Right. And, uh, but th that bear, he never exhibited any signs mm -hmm. of aggression right. or being defensive. No. He was yeah. just checking it out. So he was just bears. curious. Black bears have a very high curiosity. Yeah. Their curiosity yeah. is, is never satisfied. If they walk into a bait and there's anything new from mm -hmm. the last time they were there, there's a good chance yeah. they're going to go sniff it. And they may not even do it trepidatiously. They may walk up to it and just like sniff it just to see what it is, play with it a little bit, and then go yeah. eat. A grizzly bear yeah. is there to eat most of the time. Yeah. If they go sniff something, it's because they're worried about well, it. Well, and one right. point I want to make before we get off of that story is I was very impressed with, with your wife's performance on that because the thing that she did that was really great is when it came too close mm -hmm. and it was getting too curious, Yeah, she simply, I mean, had her firearm ready. Yeah, locked and loaded, but very calmly said, "Hey, bear." Yeah, it wasn't yelling. It wasn't mm -hmm. high pitched. It yeah. wasn't right. "Hey, bear." You know, it was <laughs> "Hey, bear." Yeah, and that's all it took. And that bear looked at her and was just like, "Oh, there's somebody in there." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and just kind of turned around and just meandered away. And it wasn't yeah. a, like you said. And yeah. that that calmness of demeanor, right? You can escalate a situation that would otherwise not escalate Absolutely. if you react Absolutely. Wrong. And so that's why we preach about the mentality that you're in, about the, right. the mental space that you go into these baits with, because you might be looking at a bear that's just hanging out at a bait, like you said, not really being aggressive, doesn't really know what you are, just yeah. kind of meandering around. But if you portray aggression, that can change that situation for the worst, rather than just standing your ground, being prepared. Yeah. And so... Yeah. Um, I was going to say the other thing with that situation, kind of back to your story mm -hmm. on showing or being in pairs right. is, yeah. uh, my wife, I struggled to say she got charged, but for all intents and purposes, she'd got charged last year. Like a bluff charge, maybe. 
I don't, it really didn't get close enough to tell before I, okay. I shoot it off. So it was coming at her full tilt. We were walking down a trail um, around that same bait area. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> she, I was walking rather quickly and she was a ways behind me. I, you know, I was t- trying to get her to keep up with me. So I had slowed down a, a little bit and she starts telling me, you know, Jay, there's a bear. There's a bear. I turn around, I'm like, what? Yeah. And I look behind her and there is one, a, a black bear coming at her full tilt boogie. Mm-hmm. And so I just immediately ran back and jumped, jumped on the trail and basically just, I, I raised my scope, but I wasn't real confident in the shot. And I just yelled at it. Just, hey! and it, it hit the brakes like crazy. I'd never seen a bear turn that fast yeah. before. Yeah. But I, and I think that's a large reason for it. It was just, it thought she was alone. Yeah. And, and it thought she was, she was there by herself. And that's, that really, you got to exhibit a, an extra level of precaution if you are going to be one of these people going into your baits mm-hmm. alone, which all of us do. Yeah. You know, we all go into our baits oh, yeah. alone. We all go in yeah. there to either sit or to restock or to tear down alone. Honestly, it's one of the most awesome things to do is to go, yeah. go, go into a bait by yourself, yeah. hunt it by yourself, kill a bear Yo. by yourself. There's just yeah. something about it. That's, but, yeah. but there is an awesome. extra level of caution you have to apply right. when you do that. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's where a lot of guys start Nobody's, with that complacency. Yeah. Is they'll go in there alone and nothing bad happens and they yeah. start to think that nothing bad can happen. Yeah, there's, and, and that's there's when you nobody get in there to cover for your mistakes if you're right. by yourself. And I, I know that's the obvious, but people don't <laughs> people don't act right. like it. You know, Yo. they go into a bear bait, and I know we've already used the term, but willy nilly. Yeah, and they just ah, da, 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 da. I'm just walking in there <laughs> watching the flowers grow, and boom, there's a bear at ten feet. Oh yeah. man! And then they freak out, and then the bear is going to react. <laughs> okay, this is a really good way of 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 uh, of illustrating this. Mm-hmm. If if you get into a confrontation with a human being, right? Okay, um, th- there's there's the proverb: a soft answer turneth away wrath, right? And you get into a conflict with another guy. Mm-hmm. If someone responds with aggression, a lot of times you can calm the situation down, right? Provided they're not hopped up on whatever, you know, salt, I, I, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. Sure, but we'll we'll keep it that way. Speedball, but. Um, <laughs> If, if if you respond with aggression and you up a level, mm. well, then they're going to respond another level up. Right. And you're going to escalate it yep. really fast. Yep. Same thing happens with bears. Yeah. If a bear pops out and he's not acting aggressively, he's just there mm. and you, oh, hey, and, and you start <laughs> yeah. and you kind of freak out and make a bunch of noise and yep. you move quickly and jolt around and you're scrambling to get your gun out. Mm-hmm. You might trigger that predator instinct into yeah. a charge right. when it otherwise might have been you just, hey, bear, and you just slowly raise your right. gun, you're already ready. He might just go, eh, well, yeah, okay, all right, I'll back off. And right. that's, again, most of and, the time, that's what's going to happen. And, and I'll, I'll add on to that because all of our wives hunt with us, and, and I'm, I'm a big believer that we need to get women out in the woods to hunt. I think it's great that our wives go with us. I think right. it's great that they're take, they have an interest and they go with us. For the women that may be listening to the show, mm-hmm. work on deepening your voice when you have those interactions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if you end up with a high pitch yeah. hay bear or a high pitch anything really, that will also trigger yeah. a, a predatory response shrieking from shrieking noises. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a fearful shriek, even if right. you are in, in charge of your emotions and in charge of the situation as far as you know it, but you just happen to be 
having a high pitched voice. Yeah. Work on lowering that tone quite a bit because yeah. for bears, when they hear that high pitched voice, that's typically associated with kind of like what we talked about in the last episode with yeah. uh, distress calls mm-hmm. yeah. and things of that nature. And so that may indicate to them and trigger that, that predatory yeah. response there. A, a lot so, of guys like making some noise when they go into a bear bait site. I was going to say. Okay? Yeah. So w- w- when I started getting into bear baiting with, with Mariah, w- we would usually starting out walking into a bait site, just, hey, bear. Mm-hmm. Hey, bear. And then just walk in yep. the whole way in from when you leave the wheelers or, or wherever. As soon as you're within 150 yards, you mm-hmm. start making a little bit of noise. Not every step, you know, right. but yeah. just here and there. Hey, bear. Hey, bear. And you're not trying to walk real quiet, mm-hmm. but that's all because you don't want to surprise anything, mm-hmm. right? right? Mariah's dad does the same thing. He mm-hmm. walks in talking, carrying on, not talking loudly, right? but yeah. just talking to a bear, you know, just trying to be yeah. calm. I don't usually do that anymore mm, because, really? yeah, I, I've, I've gotten away from that, but I'm not being silent either. Yeah. Now, if I've got a bear that I know is on there a lot and I want to kill it and I've got a rifle mm-hmm. that as soon as I come into view of the bait, if he's standing there, I know I'm going to shoot mm-hmm. him. I'll be dead silent. Right. And that's, that's kind of risky in that mm-hmm. if there's one closer than I think, that, that you, you know, surprise that, yeah that, that i surprise that could trigger a bad response i, I would say that's it's an, not it's, for, it's an advanced move that's not for most yeah. people <laughs> yeah. well, and, and there's a lot to be but, said for visibility too but yes how then, far can you see your bait right, from right and that's that's part of strategizing where you put a bait i mm-hmm. always put a bait where i can always see the barrel and my indicator stink bucket mm. before i get in the zone if you will right. before i get in the red right um, that's, that's so that I can kind of bend down and look through the gaps in the trees or the brush or whatever. And I can see, has it been disturbed? Is there likely a bear standing right there? Or can I even see the bear right there if he's mm-hmm. at the bait pile? Um, and, and I, and I've killed bears doing that. Yeah. I've, I've killed, I've killed a couple sneaking into a bait site, yep. sneaking into the tree stand and they have no idea what just happened. Yeah. Uh, obviously not what I'm dumping bait there mm-hmm. and making a bunch of noise. But if I go in without bait, if I just baited it up the night before mm-hmm. and I go in there real quiet, I just go in, grab the SD card and I'm up the tree and I'm silent, right? Yeah. Um, I, I've killed a few bears doing that and I've killed one with my bow on the ground while I've approached a bait. Yeah. Um, th- there was a bear that, was, that just stepped out and I hunkered down, got on my knees and got behind some brush and he walked right in and I shot him with my mm-hmm. bow. Um, Usually my move is not talking, but I do make noise mm-hmm. in whistling. I was just, I started doing that last year too. So I have oh, found I can't whistle. So I have really? found no. that um, we'll get you learned up. I have found that some Lots bears people have tried human voice. Some some individual bears mm-hmm. just don't. They get uncomfortable. Yeah, and I've had bears that I have actually run off of bear baits and had them not come back for a while. Mm-hmm. Because I talked, they heard me, I ran them off, I could hear them taking off, I looked at the camera, okay, it was this bear. Yeah. And that bear doesn't come back for one or two weeks, and I've had it happen a couple times where they don't come back at all. Mm. Yeah. So I have gone to whistling. Yeah. Where they know something's up, they know it's an unnatural sound, it's not a bird, mm-hmm. and um, it, it's, they can just tell. Something's mm-hmm. coming. They can hear me walking. I'm not trying to walk real quietly in the situation. Yep. And and this this is what I do when there's a bait that's real thick. 
I don't have invisibility. I'm going in there relatively blind until I get to my bait clearing, which yeah. is usually like 20 yards, <laughs> right. if even that, right. right, in a real thick spot. But I'll go in there and just... <laughs> and mm-hmm. they just... Usually, they'll kind of move off. They know something's off, but yeah. they're not totally spooked. Now, most bears are probably going to be fine if you, hey, bear, mm-hmm. and you just kind of talk. Right. But for me... For what I've done, I just kind of prefer the whistle. I feel like it's a little bit less unnatural. It's not yeah. a human voice. So if you're experienced with bears and you're comfortable doing that and you've tried right. it, then that might be a really good way for well, you to do Right. That. And, and that's what I was going to say. It, it'd be That would be what I would consider an advanced move. Yeah. Because if it's your first year bear baiting or even your second year bear baiting and maybe you've never seen a bear on the ground before, yeah, you know, going in, hey, bear, will yeah. will provide you an opportunity that that you can get some experience yeah. seeing bears and, and definitely witnessing start, bears. Definitely and, start by talking. And, and I'm a huge, a huge proponent to watching bears at your bait. Yeah. Don't just shoot the first thing that walks in unless it's a monster, but yeah. you know, take some time and actually watch these bears interact mm-hmm. with the bait, with you, with each other, learn the bear, and then pick which one you want to shoot. Don't mm-hmm. go in so ready to pull the trigger and get trigger happy that right. you never actually learn the creature because you don't watch it too fast. So what I was going to say with that is, you know, depending on the bait has a lot to do with the fact that how much I'm going to want to alert a bear that I'm there. If it's a bait, mm-hmm. I'm nose covered up in grizzlies. Yeah. I'm a lot more. Oh, I, yeah. I'm, a, I'm going to talk a lot louder. Yeah. If it's mm-hmm. a bait that's only black bears, if I talk at all, a lot of times, if it's only black bears, I'm a lot, I'm not super worried about it. Most black bears. Yeah don't react on surprise like like a right. grizzly bear will with just an with that yeah. predator reaction um and you know for years my dad never did that because mm-hmm. you know like i said like you said i baited with him since i was seven and you know we would walk into baits as quiet as we could be mm-hmm. just just to listen and and when there, when there's only black bears in the woods and you've never seen a grizzly on the bait mm. there's a you know not saying there won't ever be one right but right. you're you're a lot more likely to to just be safe doing that and, and, and like I said, with visibility, a lot of times the places we put our baits, the most visibility you have is what's at your bait, which mm. is 20 yards. Yeah. Yeah. And like Dalton said, there's a couple spots where you've either cleared brush or, or you know, if you duck in just this way and look at this angle, mm. you can see the bait. So you'll be able to see if there's bears there. You'll be able to see, right. you know, some, some kind of marker you've put up that they'll knock down yeah. to know if a bear's right. been there. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, yeah, if it's only black bears, I may not say a word going in, but mm. if I know there's a bunch of grizzlies or even one or two grizzlies on that bait. Yeah. I may not talk a lot going in. I may get off my wheeler. If I'm, if I'm wheeler hunting, I may get off my wheeler as quiet as I can, load up as quiet as I can. Mm. But then walking in at some point, yeah, just, hey, bear, once or twice. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I walk noisily. I'll bang something against well, a tree, you know, with, like a stick. Well, with a grizzly bear bait, I 100% agree and, with that. Right. If you yeah. know you've got a lot of grizzly bears there, then you need to be talking. Right. No, when I get on the bait, I, I'm, I'm as quiet as I can, except mm-hmm. for like, I let the noise of the bear bait dumping out. Cause that's kind of a, you know, that's like, like the dinner right. bell, right? Yeah. 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 Yep. Now, now I'll, I'll say I have gone into several baits quiet, especially mm-hmm. when I know I'm, I'm, I'm very likely to have a bear either on the bait at that particular time or resting shortly away from the barrel that I want, I don't want to spook off. Right. And, and I typically set it up. So my trail hits my tree stand first. 
that way I'm not oh, walking yeah. around Always. my bait. I'm not walking Always. past my bait. I'm right. not walking right. anything. And, and we'll get into a lot more of that when we talk about I, the actual setup of a bait. But I will come in and, and two of the baits that are my favorite, I actually, similar to, to what you were saying, I have spots where I can see the barrel from about 100 yards away. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And it's not a good view. It's not something I could shoot through. There's a lot of brush and whatnot. Yeah. But it's, you, it's like there's that perfect window right between the low parts of the trees where you, can, you know at this point of the trail, you, just, you can kneel down and look underneath yeah. everything and kind of see if there's something sitting there. Yep. As far as going in quiet goes, I have done that a lot on, on certain baits, but I will usually wait to be quiet until I hit my, my either yellow zone or red zone depending on, on how thick it is. And, and what I mean by that is there's a, there's a circumference around your bait or at least a particular part on your trail where you know you're within earshot and, mm-hmm. and high interaction rate with the bears that might be at your bait. And I just, yeah. I call that the red zone. That's, that's where if you're not locked, loaded, hammerback, ready to go, that line, I, I, I literally will usually put a marker somewhere. That's where you get that way. But before that point, I'll usually go in just not worry, right, not right. worrying about my sound, not worrying about anything like that because many of the baits that I've gone to, I mean, I, I've had ones that are three-quarter of a mile to a mile walk through brush to get in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's, <laughs> it's pretty thick at certain points in there. So you really want to be cautious not to surprise a bear when it could be yeah. 20 feet away from you and you don't know it. Yep. Yep. But what time are we at? We're just over two hours, about two hours, 10 minutes. Two hours, 10 minutes? Or so. I think we've got so much to cover with this. Oh, man. We didn't even get close to all things bear baiting. I feel like I misled people at the beginning. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is is just a taste and... Yeah, you know it's really good, especially for the people that are, are that are just getting into bear baiting mm-hmm. this year. I mean, Alaska has a, a huge turnover rate, I guess I should say, of people yeah. that come and go, and and it, a lot of this applies to people that want to bear bait in the lower forty-eight too. I want to say there's thirteen states that allow you to bear bait right now. Okay, um, yeah. mostly in the northern region of the country. I'm not even going to pretend to know what all of them are, but I just I remember that number off the top of my head. Yeah, but a big takeaway I want people to 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 get from this is that there is a lot of caution that goes in there is a lot of thought process that goes in you have to mentally prepare yourself but statistically speaking bear baiters don't get mauled that often yeah even though you're putting yourself mm-hmm. in that situation close to bears you're putting yourself in a situation where you're walking into and you've used the reference several times essentially what they would consider a kill site yeah yeah and but the reason for that is, I, I believe I read somewhere that the most common people that get mauled by bears are hikers and fishermen. Mm. And the reason for that is because hikers, especially when they're alone, will oftentimes have headphones in. Mm. And that's a stupid. So move. it is. I see, and to me, but, I don't see how I could have headphones in hiking in yeah, the woods. Like that's ridiculous. I, I don't know if it's hikers that are trying to get no, up. Like I, I can but, see it, especially, especially joggers, yeah. joggers, and things like that. Um, you know, they'll have their music playing in their headphones. They're just out there alone, enjoying nature. Um, with, with music, but, that's not with, from nature. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but uh, but in, and with anglers, they're more focused on the fishing, and they're right. more focused on the water and what's happening and, and with their fishing. Mm-hmm than they are and what's around them. And so it, it's really interesting to me that the people with the highest level of interaction with bears, which would be bear baiters, right. have some of the lowest numbers of actual negative outcome interactions with bears. Well, 
because uh, because they're just aware yeah. when yeah. you're when you walk into this with the right mentality and mm-hmm. the right preparedness yeah and you know how to handle that situation yeah chances are it's not going to turn bad for you yeah you were in the army james yeah did they teach you cooper's colors cooper's colors no i don't think so so i i asked that question because i've got a buddy in the marines i was talking to the other day and uh, he was mentioning cooper's colors which i'm familiar with and i'm not going to dive into it but it's just a color system and, and it initially was was used by uh, like cia guys in, in special operations for mm-hmm. just a level of awareness where you're at and i believe it's um white yellow red black okay and uh you know, white is, you know, sleeping, mm. you know, yellow is kind of honestly a state I try to be in most of the time, no matter where I'm at, because we live in a crazy world, but yellow is just an, a level of alertness and what's going on around you, mm-hmm. you know, what's a, looking for cues and something that might be going wrong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, red is looking, actively looking for something to be going wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I was walking through the town in, in, in red, if I was walking through Walmart, like Red is I'm expecting somebody to try to hurt me. And so red yeah. is what you need to be when you're going into your bear bait. Yeah. Red is what you need to be right if, if you have any indication or maybe a bear around. Right. You know, and black is when you're in the situation when things are going down. Right. Yeah. When your gun's out. Right. Or, you know, or your gun's up and, and you're getting ready to pull the trigger. But, um, you know, maybe, maybe that would be a great... Maybe I just gave away what my next article should be based around. <laughs> but uh, well, yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. Hey, you're yeah. just teasing it a little bit. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, knowing my our rate of getting articles written and out, it'll be a month or two before right. it comes out. So <laughs> right so, about peak bear baiting time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, we we do have some good ones that are that are getting worked up right now. So keep yeah. an eye out for those. So I, I just wanted to make sure we didn't scare anybody off. Oh, it, no. It's not, no. you know, there's a reason we're all obsessed with this. There's a reason we all just love doing it. And it's because it is a load of fun. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a super exciting thing to do. You, you go from super hard work and, I mean, ar- arguably work that'll really help you get into yeah. sheep shape if you're really trying to get oh, into sheep shape. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> even, you know, you want to talk about going, like we were talking about, uh, training with your pack on you throw 100 pounds of dog food on a pack and go hike three quarter miles up a hill i mean it's yeah. <laughs> even, even baiting <laughs> off of a wheeler is a tremendous amount of work it is yeah oh, yeah and, and you know the thought process we'll obviously have to get into that in a different episode oh, but, yeah. um we've still got a lot but, to cover when it comes to bear baiting yeah but it, it's just it's such a rewarding thing to do especially with how smart these creatures are and and how timid and, and cautious they can be when you do get them to expose themselves and especially when you get into a really great spot and you've done a really good job and it's established and you can walk in there. I mean, there's times you can see mm-hmm. multiple, multiple bears in one night. Yeah. If you're set up right. properly, if you follow the steps, if you do your planning correctly. Right. There is no better way to learn bears in an intimate way than at a bear bait. Right. So seeing, talking about seeing multiple bears in a night, and I'm just going to touch on this real quick. We can mm-hmm. cover it more in another episode. But my dad was talking to me the other day. And he heard, I don't know, on a podcast or something somewhere how somebody, you know, didn't want to shoot a particular bear or they or hauling everything from a bear away from a bait site because they're afraid it's going to keep bears from coming in. Mm. And that's just, that's just not the case almost most of the time. You know, my dad has shot bear. So, man, I just got in the stand. Let me just sit here. Mm-hmm. Shot a black bear with his bow. Let, you know, the bears flop, you know, died and flop behind the stand there 15, 20, 30 yards. Died. Right. Did the death moan. 
he picks his book back up and keeps reading. And a few hours later, he shoots another bear, mm-hmm. both big bears. Right. You know, and that was back on in his three-wheeler days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's got pictures of... Just, Legend. Yeah. yeah. And can, like I said, we'll have to have him on here to tell some of these stories. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. It, what I was going to say there, you're talking about bear, multiple bears. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, Candace this year, or this last year, I had her for the first time in a, in a bear bait. Um, we went out and she helped me set it up and we went and hunted it and we sat there to, to see if we're a grizzly. we knew a grizzly was on it. We sat there waiting for the grizzly to come in mm-hmm. and um, she came in and she had a set. She was a sow that had some three-year-old cubs with her that she was kicking off. Yeah. She came in, she comes huffing in. Like we said, she sits down and starts chowing down. Next thing I know, I, I hear another bear coming in. I'm like, hey, there's another bear coming in. And, and yeah. she, the other bear comes in and, and just kind of circles up behind the bait and uh, comes down, starts to come down towards the bait. And then I hear another one over to the right. I can hear some more sticks breaking. Mm-hmm. And next thing I know, the sow just looks up towards them. They're on a hillside. We're on a kind of a hillside. And she just, t- just huffs and just takes off after, after, mm-hmm. those, after her three-year-olds that she was kicking off. And yeah. I mean, it was just, and they went straight in the direction of my wheeler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, Candace is like, you know, her eyes are big and like, she's never seen bear before, yeah. you know, except for at the zoo. And Candace is? My wife. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, that was just, bears are, there's nothing more fun in the woods yeah. than well, bears. Yeah. And you know, sure. I know a couple of guys that have shot multiple bears, even with mm-hmm. rifles. Uh, one buddy of mine, he shot one that was milling around closer to the stand. And the one that was, had his head in the barrel just kind of looked out, checked out the situation. Oh, that one dropped, put his head right back in the barrel. Right. <laughs> he ended up shooting both in one night. Wow. <laughs> and then, yeah. And I've heard of people that got walked in on, you know, when they're, yeah. w- when they're skinning out another bear or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you know, definitely. And, and, I've, the, the the only thing now I I know I told the story a couple episodes ago and you just mentioned that your dad has never had that happen where it where it runs bears off. The only time I've ever hauled out bear carcasses whole, well away from a bait site is when I want to hunt it the following night, and I don't want to spend an excessive amount of time on the ground mm. spreading scent and making noise because when I'm yeah. taking a bear apart, I'm making some noise. Okay, I'm. Uh, I'm talking. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. constantly standing up and looking around yep. in case something I mean, I, is I coming in that. near me. And I don't want to disrupt a bait site too much mm. while taking a bear apart mm-hmm. that would ruin possibly the next evening's hunt. Yeah. That's the only time I'm doing that. Right. Well, I've definitely and, heard of guys being afraid of leaving a gut pile. And that gut pile is just going to bring in more bears is all it's going to do. I, I've had it go both ways. But, yeah. It, 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 yeah. Just, it, it depends on the excuse me on the situation yeah but uh it it definitely does and and that's kind of the the fun thing about it too is because each bait site is different and each bear is an individual so much of it is yeah just your current situation and you're kind of figuring it out as you go and it's it's so much fun so we've arrived on one of the great things of our podcast and that is our individual thoughts and opinions on the matters um (laughs) but you know you know when i'm bear baiting this year one thing i'm going to have with me that i haven't had before but i'm really looking forward to having actually two things and they're both uh made by stealthy hunter one's the glassing pad it's going to be an amazing addition for either either in a ground blind or you know that one tree stand i haul in that i should have gotten rid of last year you know that that tree stand (laughs) that you keep saying you're going to get rid of it's going to be a great addition for for some extra support when i'm sitting in a stand way too long yeah yeah Yeah. and then uh the rifle cover that's Mm -hmm. that'll be amazing going into a bait Mm -hmm. um uh, you know, there's a good chance it's going to come off pretty quickly. 
like yeah. we've been talking yeah. about. But I, I wouldn't keep it on while you're walking in. But. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. But but still, like you know, if if I want to put it on while I'm climbing into the stand or something, that extra level of protection around the scope and stuff like that will mm. be great. Or when yeah. you're wheeler and into whatever. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Especially right. if I have you right. know, if 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 it's me and one other person, and I've got say one rifle in the gun boot, somebody else is going to have to hold the other rifle. Right? Yeah. So yeah, and, and I got to say, I am ecstatic to throw a hammer bullet in oh yeah me too. Yeah. me too i want to see what it does at the all of us so excited hammer bullets from uh, from steve over there and i yeah. we, we've been talking to steve quite a bit about different bullets that we've chosen for different rifles and, and even handguns mm-hmm. heck we talked about uh, it for an hour and a half before we started recording <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh i i, I just I, I got my my uh my weatherby rifle mm. in uh here just a couple of days ago and i already mounted the scope on it and i've got some reloads that i'm working on right now yep with uh with some hammer bullets and once i once i get that worked up and get it shot and figure out mm-hmm. what load i'm going to go with we'll we'll talk about that on another podcast yeah and we'll, we'll throw some stuff up on the instagram as well oh, and, yeah. and uh you know some some load info and you yeah. know, there's not a lot of information out there about this particular cartridge that i got well, and, and you got to be careful giving that information out freely. Well, I, I don't mean low data. Yeah. I just mean uh, velocity achieved. What it's capable and of. And bullet weight. And, right. and uh, right. it just kind of the combo that I went with. And yeah. I, I, I decided to get a, uh, a 338 RPM mm-hmm. in the backcountry 2.0 with the steel action and the steel barrel without a scope dry that gun is 5.4 pounds yeah very light and it's an 18 inch barrel with a two inch muzzle brake so it's a 20 inch overall That's barrel be a heck of a bait gun that is it going to be a sweet <laughs> rifle for yeah. I mean, for guiding uh for the coast that's yep. coming up here pretty quick for me and then also when i as soon as i get back i'm going to be in the truck probably the day of yeah running right. out to some bear baits to go do some hunting well so. and, and speaking of bait guns i've got i got those those 300 grain shock hammers for my 4570 yeah and i it's am gonna be awesome the same thing i'm super excited to get some low development going and, yeah. and see what they're capable of i've, I've read some some recipes and, and that's and man you know, it, just speaking, those things are screaming just speaking of that we can do half of a podcast if not a whole one on choosing a rifle for bear baiting oh yeah because there's a whole lot and <laughs> there's so much there, fun you can have with that because yeah. there's so much so many options yeah. Yeah, there yeah. really are. But. And obviously, when you're taking your bear apart after shooting it with a hammer bullet. I was just going to say, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, yeah. Mariah mentioned the stealthy equipment, and that's that's all going to be great as well. But uh, you need a quality knife to take you your do. bear apart with. Right. And my uh, my Yukon River knives are going to come in clutch yeah. on, on all the bears that I'm on this yeah. year with both with guiding brown bear hunters on the coast and then also as soon as I get home, yeah. taking black bears apart, hopefully. Maybe I'm, some grizzlies too. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm going to be bringing that uh, the the hunter in with me. Oh, to yeah. all yeah. my baits to take gonna, take yeah. them apart. But I got that Green River Skinner. Yeah, and I am super excited yeah. to flush a bear hide with that. Yeah, I'm really it, looking forward to taking that Sendero in there. Yeah, mm-hmm. taking a bear apart with that. Yeah, Just, you, gotta, you gotta say that like like you said that little western. You know, yeah, that's Sendero. Sendero. Well, before before you you need your. Uh, your knives you're going to need some scent oh yes yeah. and we're going to talk extensively about which oh, we ones, will but, we will yeah. but in order to get your bears at your bear bait and keep know, them there yeah. and and mask the scent of uh how, how did chris say it marlboro reds and old spice <laughs> <laughs> which is not what we all smell like but it's such a good illustration it, it is, it is. <laughs> I, I i re-listened to that podcast and i laughed and laughed if, if you haven't <laughs> heard that then go back and listen to our interview from last week with chris perez for me yeah. i smell like uh, um, you know sweat and 
whatever I've been working on for the day. Yeah. 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 But you know, to, to, to do your bear baiting upright, you got to have your quality sense and attractants and that is from none other than Batum 907 with Jess. It's a local Alaska company and we've all killed bears over her products. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's not going to change. No, we plan to kill soon. many more. <laughs> yeah. Nothing beats nasty boar and uh, sow and heat, baby. Yeah. That's, that hey, stuff. It works like a charm. That blueberry. I still remember. I think that was the first, <laughs> oh, the man. first spray I picked up from Beta 907 was that blueberry. Yeah. And, uh, that, which man, I can't, which, stop, can't get away from which the one. Blackberry. I just love the blueberry. Yeah. I think it was yeah. the cupcake addiction. I opened it up yeah, and I think favorite. I instantly got diabetes. That's my <laughs> favorite <laughs> sweet scent. Yeah, yeah, it is so potent. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah, yeah, but well, and you can get there easily. You can find any of these places we're talking about and these companies we're working with um, on that page. I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, if you go to thenorthernhunter.com and click on partners or thenorthernhunter.com slash partners, if you're like my mom and just like to type everything you possibly can on the computer. Um, (laughs) and, uh, there's a nice list of our, of the, uh, uh, of our partners and sponsors Mm -hmm. and what we like about them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. We also got a, we got links to their websites yeah, on there. Yeah, the website there. Which ones have discount codes and, and yeah, which ones I don't? Just, I was just going to say for Yukon River Knives and for um, Stealthy Hunter. Yeah. Right now we have discount codes going on with both those guys that'll help support the show. So type yeah. in the Northern Hunter at checkout, and that'll yeah. give you a nice little discount there. Pretty substantial on the Yukon River Knives too. I might add. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, it that, is. That, that'll that'll get you a good discount on already a, a reasonably priced knife, whichever yeah. one you decide to go with. But uh, yeah, go apply that discount at checkout when you're buying your Stealthy Hunter equipment and your and your nutrition supplements. I was going to mention real quick, the last several days I, I've been at a job site at my day job where I've been in and out of a crawl space a bunch, mm-hmm. on my knees crawling around in a crawl space working, uh, running some some ventilation pipe. And usually my knees are sore for darn near a week mm-hmm. after a job like that. Now, for the last... Over a month now, I think I've been I, I've been taking some of the Stealthy Hunter supplements mm-hmm. every day, mm-hmm. along with my normal vitamins, and one of them is the turmeric, yeah, or turmeric, however you want to pronounce that. But the turmeric supplement helps a lot with your joint pain mm-hmm. and, and joint inflammation and recovery. And my knees don't hurt, and I've only been out of the crawl space for a day. Nice. I have been so impressed, and and with hiking and 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 uh, pack training lately, mm-hmm. I'm not sore like I usually am after a winter off of this kind of stuff. Nice. It has helped, and I hundred percent believe that it's that supplement that's really aiding in my joint recovery. Yeah, it is a really solid product. It's a it's a huge component to to recovery and to rebuilding damage too and, yeah. and the best part is it's all natural yeah like it's not synthetic your it's body not, your body is an engine and if you yeah. don't keep it well maintained and well oiled then yeah. it's gonna fall right. apart and you're gonna have some serious problems yeah. you can avoid it so get your supplements from stealthy That's hunter right. yeah and apply the discount code and you'll save some money there All right, guys. Well, hopefully you enjoyed the episode. We have a lot more to cover as far as bear baiting goes. So with that in mind, if you are listening to this episode this coming Monday and you have any questions pertaining to bear baiting that you would like us to cover, if you get to it quickly, you'll likely get to us before we record the next episode. So shoot us your questions. You can hit us up on the, the social medias. If you search at The Northern Hunter on either Instagram or Facebook, you can find us there. Uh, you can go to our website at northernhunter.com, the northernhunter.com, sorry. 
And we have a contact button there. If you want to shoot one over directly from your email, it is info at thenorthernhunter.com. And we love answering questions. So if you have any curiosities or anything of that nature, shoot us a comment, shoot us a, a question, and we will yeah. try to get to it as best as we can. Yeah. So, and as always, if you like the show, share it with as many people as you can. Give us a good rating. We love those ratings. And we love reading the reviews too. We actually do look at those. So if you leave us a good one, we'll see it. So, but all right, guys. All righty. Until next week, get out there, get after it, and good luck. See you next time. Have a good one.